0: Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of March 16th, 2023, including Ghostwire Tokyo is finally coming to Xbox, Suicide Squad is rumored to be getting a serious delay following the negative reception of its recent gameplay reveal, Capcom's new dinosaur shooter is coming to Game Pass, and I'm playing a weeby anime fighting game for some inexplicable reason. More to come. this day in Xbox history, in the year 2010, 13 years ago, Metro 2033, released for the Xbox 360. I distinctly remember this game coming out. For some reason, Metro was a really important game to me at the time, because when Bioshock first came out, uh, it, it didn't really grab my attention at all. I don't know what was wrong with me, I guess at the time, I was just like, Sonic, gotta go fast, but for some reason, Bioshock is a game I probably didn't come to until maybe around this 10 20 at this time 2010 2011 i think i started playing it around the time the second game came out so i don't know i just remember metro 2033 being that first what, the, what is what do you guys people call this like sim immersive sim i don't like that name because to me i just i just call these like immersive story driven first person shooter game i don't know whatever who cares names genres are so are so arbitrary especially in video games because nothing is properly tagged so whatever you want to call immersive sim first person walking simulator shooting whatever game but this kind of echelon of like i really think people hold the games like bioshock as the premiere title but there's a lot of games that fit into this kind of mold well where you can say the metro games you could say even like new games like atomic heart or the wolfenstein games uh but metro was the first one of this series for whatever reason that really stuck out stuck out to me and i remember like being like in middle school too broke to be able well, I guess I was in high school when this game came out. Anyway, too broke to afford to buy new games and just seeing it on the Xbox store and be like, damn, I really wish I could play this game. And then a buddy of mine bought, bought it, played it at his house, fell in love with it years down the road when they remastered the first two games on Xbox One. I finally played it. Long story short, Metro just has a special place in my heart because I feel like it's one of those games that helped expose me to kind of more mature... Games, you know, not not mature in terms of like, oh, look, there's, you know, there's there's blood. This game's for like seventeen and up, but, but like more mature in terms of like, it's it's tone, it's it's narrative, it's it's you know, just its ideas and its themes. And uh, I feel like this is one of those games that kind of helped guide me towards that path of seeing just how. I don't know, just just like how intricate and serious gaming could be. You know, it doesn't always have to be just like mindless killing like in Call of Duty or just dumb fun like in Mario. And uh, so I don't know, there's something really special about Metro where I kind of look, I look at it as one of those like pivotal games that helped me kind of mature in in gaming. And uh, I I really do love, I never finished uh, the third one, the Exodus. I guess I just played it at a bad time. It didn't stick with me. But those first two Metro games in particular, I really adore the hell out of those games. Also noted, uh, notable developer 4A Games. Developer is Ukrainian, but they tell a Russian story. Metro is obviously you know named uh, based on the the novel series by Russian author. I forget his name, but you can look it up. Long story short, I really love Metro. Thirteen years old. Happy birthday to you, Metro. Thanks for existing and kicking ass. Actually, a lot of the developers who worked on Metro were previously developers of the Stalker series, and a lot of those guys are probably now working on Stalker too, so there's always been a lot of mix between Stalker and Metro, a lot of uh, commonality behind behind the dev teams and the games themselves, although Stalker is apparently nothing like Metro, but I wouldn't know. I haven't played the series. Anyway, let's get off of that and move on, you guys. Welcome to Xbox On, episode 198 for the week of March 16th. You guys, we got a lot of. I feel like this is a well-rounded episode where we have a decent amount of stuff to talk to in every segment. There's no segment that's going to be short and sweet or or, or rushed through. Rather, it's just going to be. I feel like an even amount or an appropriate amount of time for every segment. So we got we got a little of everything. It's this is a uh, this is a kind of covering the spectrum episode, if you will. Now we've been starting out the podcast by talking about the notable game releases of the week because gaming has just reached a point in the past few months where There have been so many big-name games dropping every week that it's just might as well draw attention at the top of the show and be like, yo, guys, this is the week where, you know, SimCity 12 comes out or whatever the hell it is. Uh, But this week, we had a big, huge game that was supposed to come out this week, but it ended up getting delayed to April. So that game was Star Wars Jedi Survivors. Survivor? Yeah, Survivor. It's singular, not plural. Uh, But that game, yeah, since it's been delayed to April, it actually leaves this week a little, a little open, a nice little week off, kind of like last week was. So if you're still trying to catch up on all the recently released games, still trying to wrap up Atomic Heart or Hogwarts Legacy or whatever controversial game you're playing that makes you a bigoted freak, um, then I guess you still have some, some free time before the storm resumes and we get the barrage of other new game releases. Uh, but for those of you who are looking for something to play more imminently, something really, really fresh out the press, don't worry. Uh, Xbox has got you covered because this week on March 17th, this Friday, Peppa Pig World Adventures comes to Xbox Series X, S1, and PC. So you can look forward to that if you just really jonesing for something brand new and shiny. So that's it for the new games of this week. But I do want to, of course, real quick, touch on our Activision updates because every week we got these Activision stories. The good news is we don't have five main news stories about Activision. So we're going to be able to quickly just touch on, hey, here are some updates regarding the Activision Xbox ordeal move on with our lives and get on to the other news that isn't that that, or that doesn't pertain to uh, really wealthy corporations in a courtroom arguing about who gets to own really lucrative uh, IP. So so real quick to get through those, Microsoft has announced not one but two uh, new 10-year partnerships. We've been seeing them make these partnerships with companies like NVIDIA and Nintendo, and we've seen them extend the offer to Sony on multiple occasions as Sony has declined to promise to do things like support, Xbox Game Pass or Call of Duty on various platforms, depending on, on who the company they're working with is. So this week we got two new ones. Uh, the first one, and this is all with the intent of trying to help get their acquisition of Activision across the finish line. Uh, so the first one that they, they announced this this week was a, uh, a 10-year agreement with Boostroid, the largest global independent cl- uh, cloud gaming provider, which is probably why you never heard about them, is because they're the world's largest. Uh, according to Microsoft, the deal will see Xbox PC games uh, coming to boost droid through, or although it hasn't been confirmed when this will happen. Crucially, Microsoft also states that they should also, uh, that should they be able to acquire Activision Blizzard and go ahead with the partnership, they'll see Activision Blizzard titles like Call of Duty also on Boostroid as well. Microsoft used this announcement to repeat its claim that the deal with other partnerships already announced uh, will bring more Call of Duty to to more than 150 million people around the world. Uh, The claim also refers to Microsoft's commitment to bring blockbuster shooter titles to Nintendo. We already talked about that. NVIDIA's GeForce Now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that is not all because Microsoft said that they will... Uh, Sign more deals in the coming weeks and months, or so whatever the hell it is. And uh, yeah, they weren't kidding because two days later they announced their second one or their second ten-year agreement of the of this week. And um, the second announcement was a ten-year commitment to stream Xbox and PC games as well as Activision Blizzard games should the deal go through with Japanese-based uh, gaming company, cloud-based gaming company, Ubisoft, Ubitus Ubisoft, Ubitus? whatever. Notably, Ubisoft. UBTUS is the company which powers many of the cloud games available for Nintendo Switch platforms like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Hitman 3, Control, Resident Evil Village. I should stop real quick and and just clarify for those maybe who are so ingratiated in the Xbox ecosystem, so ingrained in the Xbox ecosystem that maybe they're not really paying attention to what's happening on Switch and PlayStation. So uh, Nintendo Switch for the past, I mean, I guess it's been more than a couple of years, probably been four years now that we've been seeing this, so it's not really new news, but Nintendo Switch... We, we've all seen it get a surprising amount of third-party support for a Nintendo platform and that's just because people keep buying games for the console, but uh, because it's no doubt an underpowered piece of kit, uh, there's been a lot of like trickery to try and get some of these games like Guardians, uh, the Square Enix Guardians of the Galaxy game or Hitman 3 and things like that running on Nintendo's console. So what a lot of these third-party uh, publishers have ended up doing is turning to cloud streaming as a solution to get games on Switch. So a lot of it is like you'll go to Walmart or Amazon or whatever and you'll buy a copy of uh, Control or Resident Evil Village or Guardians of the Galaxy and it comes with a little Nintendo cartridge like a game cartridge but when you pop it in your Nintendo it has like a 10 megabyte update or something like that. It's like a little firmware thing but when you launch the game you're not playing the game off the cartridge you're not playing the game um, installed on your hard drive on your Nintendo's SD card or whatever you're playing connected to the internet through streaming. And that's what this company is, Ubitus, uh, Ubitus, whatever it is, they are a Japanese cloud-based gaming company that's been powering um, this kind of service for for companies like uh, Remedy and Square Enix and Capcom, who have been utilizing this technology to get their games running on the Nintendo Switch. So that's a huge one. I think we can all put on our tinfoil hats for a little bit and think about what this might mean. Potentially, you know, if Microsoft is claiming, hey, we're gonna get Call of Duty running on Switch uh, with content parity, believe it, you you don't have to believe us, but we're going to freaking do it, you know, if we if we acquire Activision, you might want to put one of these you know, these two and two together and say, um, well maybe this is how they plan on getting Call of Duty to run on Nintendo Switch is through, it's through streaming through something like this, and and you know, this is a company that already has a lot of experience getting streaming working with Switch uh, very well, and so it might be a little bit of like, hey we'll support your platform if you help us get Call of Duty going on Switch, I don't know, you know it's a little, again, a little bit of a tinfoil hat thing, but you can't ignore the fact that those two Things are, you know, exist. That Microsoft also wants to get Call of Duty on Switch while also working with this company and supporting them in an effort to make them look good and get their deal across uh, across the 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 courtroom, I guess, uh, signed and inked and done. So, anyway, those are the two deals Microsoft made this week. A third little update for the Activision deal, a quicker one because who's got time for legal interpretation? But the FTC wants more information, or said they want more information regarding Microsoft's recent agreement with Nintendo and NVIDIA for their 10-year deals, as well as its exclusivity plan for content for both ZeniMax and Activision Blizzard. I think that's really interesting, though, because they're asking for ZeniMax, a company they've already acquired. So the fact that they're kind of retroactively going back and saying, what is your intention with ZeniMax? Um, So this is according to uh, court-filed documents uh, earlier this week, which outlined things that the FTC is wondering about or wants more information from Microsoft about uh, in order to kind of feel like they know what they're what they're getting themselves into and how they want to go ahead with approving or or challenging this this potential deal um so that's actually really interesting that the filing reads quote just this one little quote and we're done despite clearly intending to use these agreements in its defense microsoft has refused to actually produce underlying intent internal documents related to these agreements or communications with third parties other than nvidia nintendo and sony microsoft should not be permitted to inter uh, introduce or rely on these agreements without producing the requested underlying discovery so they're saying yeah yeah, yeah, you're agreeing to these to these uh to these 10-year deals but like what does that mean how does it play out show us you know show us the details uh which is astute and i think honest and fair or not honest and fair but accurate and fair to to be like yeah, 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 yeah you're promising all this shit but what does that look like i think uh, a big retort sony had that we hadn't considered talking on this podcast but it's really relevant is like you know microsoft's promising to do things like put call of duty on playstation and all that through through playstation plus and all that and and so he's like that's great but like that doesn't necessarily help us like that that could actually just hurt us greatly like what are you going to charge us to get call of duty on this on this service because obviously you know to get things on playstation plus or these subscription services like these platform holders have to pay, you know, it's not free. So they're saying like, you know, just because you're offering it doesn't mean it's a good deal on our on our behalf. And so that kind of leads us down this line of question too, which was like, you know, Microsoft's gonna promise 10 years of support here and there, but it's like, you know, what do these deals really look like? What are the the, the ins and outs of it? And how does it really affect these, you know, benefit supposedly these, these various companies they're making all these handshake agreements with, so. I get it. It's, it's understandable. Although we're all exhausted. No one <laughs> wants to talk about it. But, uh, I, I do find it interesting because sometimes I think we like, you know, I, I, myself for sure like to get a little excited and carried away with the whole, like, yes, Microsoft's not necessarily a good guy or anything, but like, just let them fucking purchase them so we can be done with this story already. And so we don't to re- deal with the reality of, you know, Microsoft gets shot down and then Tencent swoops in and buys them or something like that. Or like the Saudi, the Saudi crown prince fucking buys them or something like that. So, I, I'm I'm often quick to sweep this stuff under the rug and just be like Let, let's be done with it let's let's end this deal but you know these are these are good points these are things we do have to contend with and think about because obviously there are going to be consequences for every action and we have to consider how Microsoft could use this power and this added uh, this added growth for you know for pure gain and while I don't think they really have pure evil intentions I think they just want to be big and have the Activision and, and King and all that shit under their uh, under their belt you know, they, they could do nefarious shit with this, or they could use it to strong arm others into a more powerful position. And that's, that's worth exploring. So we'll have to see what comes out of this, but for now don't want to talk about it. I would rather talk about literally anything else. So let's move on to the corrections. Yes. Generally we don't do corrections on this podcast because I'm freaking perfect in every single way. And nothing I say is wrong. However, we do have two things I want to point out. It's funny because this next one, This is technically like the big news of the week, but I put it here because it's just so coincidental the way this worked out. The other day I was playing Call of Duty and I was thinking about the whole Phil Spencer thing where he was like, you know, between now and our Starfield presentation, our summer game showcase, you know, we don't have any other showcases, but expect some smaller teases, things akin to like the 007 being brought to Switch and Xbox kind of remaster uh, or port kind of announcement, it's smaller things like that, and I was like, oh my god, you know what, you know what he means by that? He's talking about Ghostwire Tokyo, duh, because Ghostwire Tokyo is almost a year old, which means the contractual agreement that that Bethesda had with or ZeniMax had with Sony is now up, which means that Xbox, Microsoft, can put that game on Xbox. Oh, man, that's what they're talking about. Because between now and then, the, the timing lines up. We're getting Ghostwire Tokyo. That's what he's talking about. And then literally this this morning, um, the day I'm recording the podcast, this news broke that Ghostwire Tokyo has officially been announced for Xbox Series consoles and for Game Pass, so along with a new update, new content. So this is from VGC. Uh, the, the game is coming, and then also the Spider's Thread update is on the way, which is also going to be released for PlayStation and PC. Um, so it will be available on all platforms, including, uh, for the first time, Xbox. The date for the game to come to Xbox and Game Pass is April 12th, so just a few short weeks here. Uh, in uh, about about a month, a little less than a month, uh, the Spider's Thride update introduces multiple uh, multiple additions to the main game, uh, such as more areas to explore and a hun- in a haunted middle school, quality of life improvements, and more. According to Bethesda, the main game story, which will feature extended cutscenes, granting players a deeper look into the plot as they play through Akito and KK's adventure to stop the menacing uh, Hanya from Destroying Tokyo. The update, which will also come to PS5 and PC, includes many additions like new story campaign missions for Ghostwire Tokyo, a new roguelike game mode during which players will have to navigate a 30-stage gauntlet assembly for over 130 levels, whatever that means. And as players progress, their abilities will become stronger. However, dying will... During a run, will reset the player to the beginning. New enemy types will also be added, like the Invisible Silent Gaze and the Elusive Retribution. The Spider Thread update will also include an expanded photo mode. Ghostwire Tokyo was originally released for PC and PS5 last year. The game, which was one of two PS5 console exclusives, along with with Arcane's Deathloop, was signed on to PlayStation as an exclusive prior to Microsoft's acquisition of Bethesda and thus Tango Gameworks, the developer. Ghostwire Tokyo was developed by. Uh, By Or sorry, it was directed by Shinji Mikami, who recently, we learned, is going to be leaving the studio, potentially retiring after many years of floating and flirting with the idea. So, all right. So I'm sure many of you are aware of this. That's why I kind of put the recap on the bottom just as a little light refresher. Yes, before Microsoft bought ZeniMax and Bethesda and all that, the thing was... They had already struck a deal with PlayStation to do these two exclusives for PlayStation. One was Arcane's Deathloop, the other was Tango Gameworks' um, Ghostwire Tokyo. Now, unconfirmed, but the rumor for people who know stuff is that this deal, this deal to get Deathloop that resulted in Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo being PlayStation 5 exclusives, was actually inked as a result of uh, repeated negotiations between Sony and and uh bethesda to try and get starfield which was a hotly anticipated uh way prematurely announced game at the time to be a playstation exclusive and it looks like you know as the story goes for people who report the rumors and whatnot uh the the negotiations and the talks happened time and time again but nothing ever came to fruition and ultimately the deal the deal just didn't happen but anyway so this this deal was inked eventually i guess they couldn't come to an agreement with with uh starfield so they ended up Working with something else, but shortly after this deal was announced in, in Deathloop and uh, in, uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, the idea that they'd be PlayStation exclusives, uh, shortly after that, Microsoft announced, hey, we bought Bethesda, so it, it's been a long time coming that we knew, you know, as soon as whatever that contractual obligation is for these games to be exclusive to PlayStation, as soon as that contractual obligation is done and fulfilled, these games will come right to Xbox, because obviously, now that Microsoft owns Bethesda, they want to use this to get these games on their platform, no doubt. And we saw that last year where basically as soon as Deathloop was a day past a year old, uh, the game came to Xbox. And now we're seeing basically the same thing happen with Ghostwire Tokyo. Although surprisingly, the uh, Ghostwire Tokyo is actually coming a couple weeks after. um a year past its its release date i wonder if that has something to do with putting the finishing touches on this added content that the game is getting so i, I wouldn't look too much into it but essentially you, you get the ideas that they wanted to put the game on xbox basically as soon as they could and that's why we're uh we're getting the Ghostwire Tokyo, so a lot of us have known this for a long time, that's why a lot of Xbox people waited for Deathloop to come to Xbox because they knew it would be there shortly, and same thing with Tango Gameworks is uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, which is a game I've been very much looking forward to playing for a very long time, Uh, so this is one of those games I actually would have caved and probably just played on PC if it truly were never coming to Xbox, but... Again, Microsoft didn't buy Bethesda for nothing. We knew this game had to come eventually, so I am definitely looking forward to playing this game. I think it's a decent time. Obviously, it's been a busy first half of the year, uh, and it will continue to be a busy first half of the year with all these games releasing, but I think April 12th is kind of a nice little slot, I guess, if maybe if you're looking forward to Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Uh, it might conflict a little bit, but as someone who's probably going to pass on that game until it's on sale, I'm, I'm pretty much uh, content with this uh, release date we're getting. It will be a Wednesday, uh, April Twelfth, so Ghostwire Tokyo finally coming to Xbox, and then that will put um, Tango Gameworks in the unique position, or not the unique position, but in the in the position of having just gone uh, with Ghostwire Tokyo, basically being a one-year-old project, and there's their secondary or smaller project, uh, Hi-Fi Rush, which we just got now being released, will be in a position where this team is basically going to be kind of. In the early stages of whatever their next project is, and with Shinji Mikami starting to exit the studio, and with Hi-Fi Rush showing that the studio can be way more than just horror, and also with Ghostwire Tokyo showing that the studio can be just way more than like a typical Resident Evil-style horror game, just be something different. Um, I'm really excited to see what this team does next and what they become as this Xbox-owned, exclusive, first-party team from japan that's making these like really interesting very unique games and uh i i couldn't be more excited to see what this team continues to be i think i i think ultimately we're in a position where tango you know they continue on the trajectory they've been on the past the past two games uh where tango could be easily one of xbox's most um most most like or i guess biggest gems of a studio if you want to put it that way i I would argue right now the best teams microsoft has owned uh through you know just through sheer output and through you know through demonstration of their skill and talent i would say obsidian the coalition playground tango gameworks turn 10 maybe those five you know those those are the teams that xbox owns down like the anything they announce i have confidence in them i think they're going to do something cool you know there's team's like 343 i love you to death to me you're still the flagship team i'll always you know drop everything at you know for, for halo but uh i don't trust you <laughs> it's not necessarily your fault maybe it is through poor management but i i just don't fully trust you <laughs> and uh anyway dude same thing with uh well i'd say the same thing for uh the initiative which is you know whatever we'll, we'll we'll save that for another discussion but nonetheless I'm really excited to say that Ghostwire Tokyo is finally coming to Xbox. Uh, I'm sure many, many an Xbox fan will be eagerly checking out this game. Something very unique to add to the Xbox portfolio as well. Um, I, I, anything that takes place in the first-person perspective, I think, is kind of at home on Xbox. The, the best place to play first-person games because off-access dual analog sticks is just the absolute best. Uh, suck it, p- PC noobs. But um, also just because this, I, I don't know, I just feel like this, it's a more action-focused first person mature i mean all horror games i guess are mature content but you know it just it's like a a horror game that kind of fits the framework of the Xbox platform a little better so i just feel like this this game is going to be kind of perfectly at home on Xbox it's it's got it's one more side note i just think Tango Gameworks is such an interesting team because Xbox for so long has so sorely needed some japanese talent you know in their in their wheelhouse and their in their um in their catalog of developers and it's so it's so funny that it ended up being Tango because while that's probably never the team anyone would have picked first for if Xbox could own a Japanese dev it ended up being kind of kind of like perfect for them because you know, something like it, it would be so weird if Xbox owned something like a Square Enix or uh, a Konami or something like that because the games they just make are are just not inherently Xbox s titles. Especially if Xbox owned like some weird like JRPG studio. Can you imagine if they were making like freaking like like Bandai Namco kind of like Tales of Symphonia games and stuff like that? Just it would it wouldn't be Xbox. So I feel like. Go, uh, Tango GameWorks, especially in recent history, has really shown that they can be an authentically Japanese developer while also having this flair and flavor that just makes them kind of a, a, a something very different from a lot of the other conventional Japanese developers we may think of when we think about you know like big Japanese titles on PlayStation that Xbox sorely lacks. And so I just feel like Ghost, uh, not Ghostwire Tokyo, but rather Tango GameWorks, uh, could really be could really be like a like a hidden weapon for Xbox in a way and maybe a little bit of a Trojan horse to get into the Japanese market, although I would argue that their games probably have more of a Western appeal, despite them being a Japanese developer. But let's move on. Uh, there's a second correction we got to talk about. that. I guess this isn't really a correction for something I said. This is more a correction for something that happened in the news, where last week we talked about some reporting kind of in a secondhand nature because it doesn't really pertain to us too much since it's a mobile game, that Call of Duty Mobile would be phased out as Activision started to support Call of Duty Warzone Mobile, although Activision has spoken out, about, like, yo, that's not true, they said, quote, we are committed to Call of Duty Mobile as an important part of our entire Call of Duty franchise and overall mobile strategy, um, and then they published that statement on Twitter and on their website and whatever, they wherever they publish statements, uh, they said, we have the best of fans in the world and we intend to continue to support the game with robust roadmap for the COD Mobile content activities and updates for the long haul, so anyway... We'll see. The rumor was that they're going to try to phase that game out a little bit in the West in favor of Call of Duty Mobile Warzone or Call of Duty Warzone Mobile, and that COD Mobile would be more of something for like the Chinese market uh, as they continue forward with its uh, ties to Tencent and it's it's more Chinese market first oriented kind of I don't know, it's focus and kind of... I mean, you could tell. Anyone who's ever played Call of Duty Mobile just knows there's something, there's something free-to-play Chinese about it where, like, the characters look all, like, anime and shit. And you get, like, weird dragon skins for your guns and characters and stuff. And you're like, this doesn't look like the the boots on the ground, bring them home, boys, pour one out for, for the girls back home. Kind of like whatever the fuck that means. Kind of like all-American game that Call of Duty typically is. Like, you play Cod Mobile and you're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I believe this was made by Tencent, but I don't mean that in a bad way because COD Mobile is actually pretty damn good uh, for as much as I absolutely hate Tencent. Uh, Good game. But anyway, guys, let's move on from all the Activision shit and the misplaced primary story of ghostwire tokyo coming to xbox which is really exciting and move into our stories of mild amusements updates things of that nature which is generally how we kind of open up this the the show every week it's the thing we generally tend to spend the most time with i don't know if that will be the case because every week i'm surprised by what parts of the podcast i get stuck on and over explain during and just end up running the the show 30 minutes longer than it needs to be because i just can't shut up but uh our first story of mild amusement Comes from none other, none other than VGC, seemingly the only website I have access to. Um, Microsoft has confirmed that they will not be having any presence at E3 on the showroom floor this year. The company announced that their game showcase will already be taking place on June 11th, not at E3, just two days before the actual event. And according to a statement issued to IGN, Microsoft will be co-streaming this presentation as part of E3, but it will not be technically at E3. So I, I don't know. I think E three still matters to Xbox. I don't think they're like Nintendo or PlayStation where like we don't need this, but at the same time I think they don't need this. They they kinda wanna have that Xbox always wants to have that that kind of image and attitude of like, hey, we're 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 playing in support in conjunction with everyone else in the team. You know, that's like Microsoft has the most I don't know how to put this. Does this make sense? Microsoft has the most third party publisher attitude of any of the major first party players, right? Where like, I just feel like Microsoft is the one that kind of consider themselves like on par with events like E3 and with other publishers like EA or Ubisoft or whatever whereas like, Nintendo and and Sony kind of have a little bit more of like a, like a savant kind of like air about themselves where it's like Just because all the third parties are at this event doesn't mean we have to be there. And I actually kind of like that because it does, I think, kind of strengthen your brand a little bit to have that kind of separation of like, "Uh uh-uh, we don't have to be at this thing just because it's a gaming-related event. We don't have to contribute to this. We don't have to identify with part of this. We can just kind of march to our own beat and that's always been nintendo's kind of thing that they've done and i've always admired that about nintendo as frustrating as it may be in some instances but yeah microsoft has always been kind of a team player they've always just kind of been like wherever the uh, gaming event is where gaming things are present xbox will be there and so for them to just not be at e3 is a little bit of like a oh that's a little counter xbox intuitive until you see this part which i completely forgot about because i guess i just haven't paid attention or remembered or maybe since 2020 the world has just shifted a whole lot but uh microsoft actually hasn't attended the showroom floor at e3 um since 2017 so this isn't shocking or new news however for them to basically just be like hey our 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 showcase is officially not part of e3 and we're not at the showroom floor but our our event you know you can kind of lump it in like the e3 kind of season if you will um i don't know it shows like a weird like one toe in the water kind of uh attempt to assimilate with this this e3 event i just find it like it's like their way of saying like hey we're not a part of it in case you know e3 continues to go downhill but at the same time we're going to show our support for e3 and i don't know something something interesting to to note although um i I think at some point microsoft's probably just going to have to not be a part of e3 because i i wonder if e3 will even be around in another year or two uh but i feel like every year we say that and then there you know there it is it, it, it went away for a little bit due to the pandemic, but it's back. All right, next up, as VGC reports, an Obsidian representative has apologized to players for fr- um, who are frustrated with the Outer Worlds Spacers Choice Edition performance issues. The updated version of the 2019 game was announced last week and then released on Tuesday for Series X, S, and PC at the time of its reveal, publisher Private Division in space said that Spacer's Choice Edition has higher resolution graphics, more dynamic weather, overhauled lighting and environment system, improved performance and load times, and enhanced details on characters and increased level cap. But the game has been poorly received by players on all platforms with numerous complaints about performance issues uh, being worse than the original title. In an update on March 10th, Private Division, the, uh, the publisher of the title, said, "Quote: Our team is working hard to patch the PC and console versions of the game and, and address the visual and performance issues reported by players. So we appreciate your patience greatly, and we'll be able to share uh, a list of patch notes with you by the end of the week." So that's no bueno. It's a uh, here's the thing: is like you can tell a lot of this probably had to do with like some obligation through their deal with Private Division, where they had to kind of be like. Private Division wants to do a remaster, they want to update the game for modern consoles, we kind of have to do it, but we're kind of spread thin with resources, working on a bunch of other games, and it's just one of those things where Obsidian is hard at work being an Xbox first party studio working on Avowed, and uh, supporting Grounded, and all these other projects they have in the works, while you know, they just put out pentiment. like, they, they, they got their fingers in a lot of pies, or whatever they're saying is, but they're still kind of held back by this deal they made before the Xbox acquisition, where, you know, they got this game, Outer Worlds, they did it with Private Division, which is a smaller publisher owned by larger publisher, uh, Take-Two, which is the Grand Theft Auto publisher, and, um... You know, the, the private division is doing what their what their parent company does, and they're saying, hey, I noticed your game that came out at the end of last generation did pretty well. How about you uh, make it look a little pretty? We slap a $60 price tag on it again and sell it for the new consoles. And so I feel like this is probably one of those things where, like, they just kind of had an obligation to, you, you know, sweet tweak the game a little bit, sweeten it up a little bit, and slap a $60 price tag so they could sell it again for Series X. But at the same time, it's like maybe resources were spread a, lo- a little thin because it's not very... Obsidian-like for something they they worked on or put their stamp of approval on to be a little underwhelming like this. Although it is indicative of modern gaming, it's just not something we see a whole lot from Obsidian. So, I do wonder if if this is kind of a victim of a studio that's spread a little thin with not a whole lot of resources being kind of tapped at a bad time to do something that they just really didn't have the time to do. And that's why not only are there, are there these performance issues, but, I mean, to be honest, this this version of the game is a little lackluster. It's like, oh, yeah, buy the game for full price all over again. It's got improved lighting and high resolution. It's like, okay, the game look and ran, looks and runs fine on the Xbox One, but okay. I don't know. That's just my two cents, but I would literally never in a million years play this version of the game, so I don't I don't know and I don't care. I already bought the game back when it came out and I don't know, just whatever. Uh actually did I buy the game? Was it a Game Pass game at the time? How did that, how did that go? What was the story behind that? I I completely forgot. Yeah, it was on Game Pass. I completely forgot about that. So I don't own this game because I don't think it's on Game Pass anymore. Huh. I guess I'm not playing Outer Worlds anytime soon again. Uh anyway. Let's do another update on Hogwarts Legacy. Uh, Sales of the game have topped the lifetime sales of Elden Ring in the UK already, despite only being a month old. WB's WB's, uh, game took just five weeks to outsell the digital and physical uh, sales of last year's blockbuster Elden Ring, which has gone to sell 20 million units globally as of this February. Uh or sorry, as as of since last February and launched. Uh, only FIFA 23, Modern Warfare 2, Grand Theft Auto 5, and LEGO Star Wars A Skywalker Saga have outsold Elden Ring in the UK last year. So Hogwarts Legacy has already surpassed the sales of all those games, or at least uh, LEGO and uh, Elden Ring, rather, um, by the end of this week. So that's impressive numbers coming from gamesindustry.biz. And uh, it's not exactly how the story goes here in, in, in the U.S. I think in the U.S., the best-selling games... Were Call of Duty last year, uh, FIFA, and then probably Elden Ring. Although I don't actually fully remember. Uh, so, needless to say, this game is a behemoth. It's 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 going to be a sales juggernaut, and I would not be surprised to see it surpass. I would not be surprised to see it uh, surpass Elden Ring here in the U.S. as well. So, shout out to Hogwarts Legacy. Continuing to be an absolute just monster of a game, and uh, I suspect this is not the last time we'll see that kind of story in the news. So. Hope you like sales milestone updates. Next up, and last up, uh, before we get into the big news, the actual news segment of the week, IO Interactive uh, have told Hitman fans not to expect the next major entry in the franchise anytime soon. While the studio plans to continue evolving the World of assassins, Assassination trilogy, which is the Hitman trilogy that they've bundled up in a sorts of um, Master Chief Collection package, It appears that they have shifted to primarily focusing on their two upcoming games, the James Bond Project, as well as their new uh, fantasy RPG we learned about the other week. So they're busy with some other games being developed across the studios in Copenhagen and Barcelona. IO Interactive told Eurogamer in an interview that fans can expect further expe- experimentation with the Hitman series uh, once they eventually get back to working on it, although they've set the expectation that it won't be anytime too soon. I really appreciate and respect that because they're basically saying, like, hey, we're not going away from Hitman forever. It's just we, we, we got some other stuff, so let's set the expectations, right? And I, I appreciate that, especially because they're not, you know, they got a couple teams, but they're no, you know, they're no Bethesda. They're no EA. They're no Ubisoft or any of those, like, big to huge size teams you know they're they're an independent developer at this point because i mean they they broke off from from square enix they, they they're kind of just doing it on their own so they can only work on so many projects at a time however with that news later in the week we learned that io interactive has actually opened up i believe a fourth studio uh in now in turkey so uh io istanbul will be located in Maslak, sarir and has sorry i'm so bad with anything that's not english Uh, It has been set up to establish a hub for AAA game development in the region and create unique gaming experiences for players across the world, said Io in a statement. They added that the team in Istanbul will be playing a significant role in the ambitious production of the 007 project, Project Fantasy, and Hitman. So... So that's all three of their titles: this RPG game, this 007 game, and future Hitman content. Uh, the Hitman reference, in particular, is notable because, as we just talked about, they said don't expect Hitman anytime soon. So now they got four teams working on these various projects. I assume still that they're mostly not going to be working on Hitman anytime soon. But needless to say, uh, the time between Hitman 3 and whatever they're able to do with that franchise next might not be quite as long as you know it, it may seem like it would be, just because. Now they can probably split up these projects. I don't know if the plan is to have one game at a time work to work between all four studios or for like a couple of studios to primarily focus on one project while another studio focuses on the other. So we'll just have to wait and see kind of what their... Um, what that that kind of churn looks like for them with these Hitman projects they were able to get Hitman's like 1 2 and 3 out I think they were usually like a 2 year clip I think it was like 2016 18 and 20 or 21 was like the clip that they were getting these Hitman games out so that was pretty good but you got to think especially with this RPG fantasy game like they're building from the ground up something they've never done before it's probably a much bigger more ambitious project so can't really compare the the development timeline of like Hitman to whatever this fantasy RPG is going to be. And with 007, I, spe- I I suspect we'll get that one probably a little sooner. That might be a twenty twenty five game, in all honesty, uh, just because that one is a little more in the realm of like what they already do with Hitman. Although again, I do suspect that will be a bigger, more ambitious game and have a lot more going on in it. So I wouldn't necessarily expect that to be a two year dev cycle or anything like that. Um, so yeah, maybe you know we've known about that project for about a year now. I would say you know they were probably working on it for about a year before that or maybe not even actually because usually usually developers and publishers announce this shit to try and get people to apply for jobs so it's possible that we're only in year two or so of development with this one but at the absolute earliest i'd say 2025 for 007 and then yeah that action fantasy rpg and hitman coming back beyond that wait till your grandkids are born that's all that's all i'll say about that all right guys so that's it for all of our small news stories of the week and now Take a deep breath because it's been a heavy opening part of the, of the show. Take a long sip of your water or Mountain Dew or whatever it is you're drinking. We talk about the games I've been playing for the week. Now, I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you about the games I've been playing this week because I have quite a schizophrenic spread of games to talk about. But before we can talk about the games I've been playing, I first got to tell you about what I've been eating. And you guys... I don't have anything, any, like, particular item to talk about. Like, oh, man, I tried this new thing, and it was so good. Guys, go to Taco Bell and try this new thing. Although, I will say, actually, as a side note, shout out to Taco Bell. They just brought back the uh, grilled cheese burrito. So, fuck yeah. They also brought back the beef version, so you don't have to pay more for the steak version. And also, fuck you, Taco Bell. They just got rid of the quesarito. So, uh, lots of mixed emotions over there. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. Today, I want to talk about the value of McDonald's and how it still lives on in the mobile app. You guys, this is very important to note because you may have noticed if you're a McDonald's consumer, which I know most of you are, even if you say you're not, we all have consumed McDonald's from time to time. I try to avoid as much as I can these days, but I cannot tell a lie. The other week, my girlfriend and I had it. But here's the deal. You may have noticed, like everything in the world, um, there are a couple of corporations that are, Really struggling with supply chain issues that began as a result of stuff happening with the pandemic a couple years ago. We won't get into all that. So, we all know there are a lot of companies, especially companies that rely on like microchips and various technologies, that are kind of like struggling with getting things built and put together because of supply chain issues. We're all familiar with that. As a result, it's driven the price of things up. But we also know that. Way, way, way more than that. those few companies that are struggling with supply chain issues. We know there are way, way, way more corporations and companies that are just taking full advantage of everything right now. And they're just like, oh, uh, I guess um, fucking NVIDIA or I guess Intel is struggling to get computer chips made. Uh, let's use that as an excuse uh, um, for fast food restaurants to just start jacking up the prices of everything. And we live in a day and age now where... Everything is just so expensive because, well, because corporations are greedy as fuck and governments don't do anything to hold them accountable, quite frankly, but... As a result, it's meant that we've witnessed, we've bared witness to places like McDonald's and Taco Bell just completely get obliterated when it comes to their value menus. The value menu is quite literally a joke at at most of these restaurants these days. You look at them, it's like, I ordered exclusively off the value menu and I'm still paying $13 for for one person's food. Like, what what the fuck's happening? Or maybe I'm just eating too much food. I don't know. But nonetheless, I think we can all agree, if you're a fast food consumer in any form or fashion, The cost of fast food has gone up quite a bit. And don't try to tell me it's because of inflation or supply chain. It's because corporate greed. And one way I know it's because of corporate greed and absolutely nothing else is because this past week I I discovered that there is still value to be had at McDonald's. You just can't order through the drive-thru to get it. In fact, to get value at McDonald's, you have to go to the McDonald's mobile app, which might I say is one of the nicer restaurant mobile apps I've ever used. Uh, the McDonald's mobile app is so good that when you sign up for when when you, when you sign up for an account and you download the app it constantly hits you with a barrage of deals and coupons that you can apply. And these deals and coupons are always on like a two year to one month rolling basis where try it expires, use it now, use it whatever, but there's always another set of coupons that are just as good right behind it whenever the one y- you're looking at expires. So there's always a way to get a good deal with the McDonald's app. But I'm not here to sell you, I'm not I'm listen, I'm not trying to sell you on some bullshit like buy one Big Mac, get one half off. It's like, okay, well, I didn't even want a Big Mac. Why would I do that? No, no, no. I'm talking legitimate savings on the McDonald's mobile app. I'm talking about how, like, the other day, I having McDonald's for the first time in a very long time. I opened up the app to see what kind of deals they have. It's like four dollars off any order of three dollars or more, or something like that. I'm like, what the fuck? Or no, it was three. It was four dollars off an order of five dollars or more. I'm like, so if I get like an eight dollar combo, my combo is now four dollars. I'm like, what is this? Two thousand three. And, uh, yeah, so I'm like, okay, fuck it. I guess I'm doing McDonald's because I can't, I, I can't say no to that deal. But then I quickly realize that's just the tip of the iceberg, baby, because there's this better deal behind it that's, like, 30% off an entire purchase. Uh, and I don't even remember what the freaking deal. I don't think there's a stipulation. I don't think there's, like, a spending minimum. It's just 30% off. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to order, like, a fat ass and see what happens. I bought... Like twenty five dollars worth of McDonald's and pay like eighteen bucks or something like that, and I I gotta be honest, I'm just like I feel like I'm living in a in in an early two thousands era, like early mid two thousands, where you can go to a McDonald's and 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 you take twenty bucks and feed a fucking army for a night, you know, and uh, I just gotta give the shout out not to McDonald's because fuck McDonald's, but also a shout out to McDonald's because their, their mobile app. Fucking rocks, dude. If you want to save money, you know, obviously they can easily afford to give you a steep discount because these prices are so fucking inflated that it's all profit anyway. It doesn't matter. And obviously they want to continue to push people to use the mobile app so they can eventually phase out human beings with computers and apps and shit. So obviously that's, that's why they push you towards that direction. But that's not what we're here to talk about. That's not what matters in the moment. What matters in the moment is that you can get McDonald's at the price you remember. The food still tastes the same. But the price doesn't have to be any different, boys and girls. That's, that's what I'm here to tell you. So download the McDonald's mobile app. Make sure you're, you're smashing those coupons. for, Smash that coupon button. And don't forget to hit the bell for notifications for future coupons, you guys. Because you can save so much money at McDonald's. I'm I, i, I I'm willing to bet you if you eat McDonald's once a week, every week for an entire year, and you rely on the coupons in the McDonald's app, you could save yourself enough money to get a doctor's consultation to find out why you're de- diabetic. And it's just, it's just that beautiful. So, shout out to the McDonald's app. It rocks. Uh, I've tested on multiple phones over the years, by the way, so I can confidently confirm it's a good app, okay? Works well on iOS and Android, so. All right, that's it for what I've been uh, uh, exploiting to eat to save money. Now let's talk about the games I've been playing, you guys. So, all right. I put this one at the top just so we can get it out of the fucking way, but I, I, I need to preface. I've had the most schizophrenic week with gaming where... You know, last week we talked about how I'm I just I don't know why. I'm just having a good time with Modern Warfare 2 still. It still hasn't worn off for me, still hasn't gotten old. And then I talked about I'm playing Destiny Two, Lightfall, I'm really loving this new expansion. I don't know what people are on about, it's a good time. And I'm also like, oh and I'm playing Hi Fi Rush. I'm trying to finally finish through that game. Uh, oh yeah, and I gotta play the Halo Infinite season three DLC. So going into this weekend, my gaming time, I'm I'm completely content with the content I already know I have out in front of me. But that wasn't enough. I just had to start playing other shit. So I'm playing so many games right now, and I have no free time for for any of these games. I'm just dabbling in all of them and having a great time. And it's I'm having one of those weird moments where like I'm trying not to let it get to me that I'm never going to finish any of these games. I'm just I'm just aimlessly starting and never finishing any projects or any games. But I'm really enjoying just kind of sewing, you know, just spreading my game time around all the publishers and developers seeing what everyone has to offer and just kind of seeing what the the gamut has to offer so and it goes a step further than that because it's not even just playing the games it's like the weird shit around gaming culture that I'm just weirdly inundated with at the moment so I'll, I'll give you an example I've been hot on Modern Warfare 2 since it came out because I just, I don't know, I just like the game. I, I can't I can't explain it. So I'm having fun with it. I'm playing it. And then I have this weird urge at some point last week to be like, you know what? I've never watched eSports before. I never cared about eSports. I care about eSports starting now. And for some fucking reason, I was just like, I'm going to go home and play Call of Duty, um, the I'm going to play whatever it's called, Ranked, Ranked Mode. And I suddenly get super into it. I'm like, I'm gonna watch YouTube videos and figure out like how to kind of get your feet wet in this. So you know, because normally I just get aggravated by everyone being all, all skilled, skilled up, and better than me. But I'm just gonna to try to treat it real serious and see how it goes. And I'm like really enjoying ranked play. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm gonna watch esports now because I guess that's what I do now. I don't, I don't fucking learn how to like I, a new skill that can get me into a, a better career path. I'm no, I'm just gonna fucking learn about Call of Duty's uh, esports scene. So little do I know. Last week, uh, starting the end of last week, is a big Call of Duty League, the the major esports team event, or uh, whatever whatever you want to call it, the esports franchise or division, whatever it is. Uh, They're doing their big Major 3 tournament this week. So perfect timing for me to just randomly fall into this new hobby. Um, I'm on Twitch from Thursday to Sunday watching the Call of Duty League uh, in, in, uh, in Texas this past week, and I'm watching... Optic versus Phase versus Mutineers versus all the teams, you know, the subliners, subliners, all these different teams I never even knew about, never cared about, and uh, suddenly this week I'm a fan. Now, now I'm a Call of Duty League fan. I, I follow the teams. I'm following the news. I had a great time this weekend doing all of that for no fucking reason. So that that I thought was going to be the bulk of my time was just Modern Warfare Two, Call of Duty League. I'm so far down this rabbit hole. Might as well just cancel my Xbox podcast and make it the Call of Duty Cuckboy podcast. But no. Because it didn't end there. I got back into more Destiny 2 Lightfall. I found more time to play it. Didn't really expand too much in the uh, campaign. Because I spent most of my time doing strikes and Crucible. Just trying to grind my light level so I could just breeze through the, the campaign without much of a struggle because i like to make my games easy like that and so i'm enjoying destiny 2 on top of that and i don't know where i'm finding the time to do this because generally i'm always struggling to find some time for gaming but i'm watching call of duty league i'm playing modern warfare i'm playing destiny 2 and the dead captain james writes in and says well first of all i'm, I'm just putting this comment here because dead captain james there were there were murmurings and concerns on the stream the other the other week that maybe you were missing uh because no one had heard from you in a while so i'm just glad to see that you're alive and hopefully well uh but you wrote in and said destiny lightfall might be the absolute worst expansion they've ever made my friends dragged me kicking and screaming back into the game and the story and the characters in this expansion are god awful i am sorry to hear that you feel that way dead captain james i feel like i got to get through this campaign and see what it's like to use this sub, this new subclass, in Crucible and all that, because I, I, I'm just not having a bad time with it so far. Yes, the story is thin, and I don't like these new characters to be quite honest, they're just kind of not, des- they don't seem very Destiny-like, but the new—I don't know, man. This new planet, the, the these uh, this moment-to-moment gameplay—it's just—it's just as good as it's ever been. I love it. It's, just, it's so fun. I'm loving this new subclass, and I'm I'm super into Lightfall so far, at least. Although I guess I haven't really played enough of it to really to really say that it's great from start to finish. But I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm waiting for it to get bad. I keep seeing this this comment that like it's not good, it's not good. What they fucked it up. It's a bad expansion. But I'm just waiting for that moment where I'm like, oh, that's why people hate it. And so. Not to discredit your your opinions and feelings about it, I'm just I'm just here to say I'm, I still haven't found that point of disappointment yet. But I am looking out for it, Dead Captain James. So I, I guess I'll, I'll report back and let you know. Maybe I'll end up agreeing with you by the time all is said and done. But for now, I still think Destiny 2: Life All is awesome. It just came out of a time where I'm very busy, just randomly getting into Call of Duty League for no reason. All right, next up, I played Halo infinite season three so here we go more of these first person shooter online games as a service type games this is the last one of these that i that i played this week but i got two more games after this Halo infinite season three i feel really sad with what i had to say about season three because the the seasonal story content and cutscenes that the that, that season three kicks off with really cool I forgot how much I loved story content in Halo because you know they uh, they kind of budget cut it from the fucking project and, and fired the team behind it. But uh, I really I really enjoy the way season three opens and I really like the maps a lot <laughs> uh, so far, especially that one. I don't know the names of the maps, but especially that one like snowy outdoors map because God, it looks and feels so much like Halo Reach, uh, and it's so refreshing because Halo Infinite feels so much like the same fucking map over and over and over again It just everything feels like a forerunner structure all the time and it's just god Halo Halo Infinite probably has the worst Halo maps of any Halo game ever I really don't give a shit if that's controversial to say I, it's just god Halo Infinite's maps are so none of them are they're not bad maps they're just so offensively samey and uh so it's it's so so welcome to have some diversity in the maps and even the maps that are a little uh like aesthetically similar to other maps in Halo Infinite Still pretty fun, like well-made maps. So I'm enjoying the maps. The new whatever it's called, Bandit. The new D D um, DMR gu- uh, gun. Uh, it, it's okay. I, I I have a weird relationship with it. I haven't gotten to use it enough to really say, but I can't tell if I if I if I like it a lot or if I just don't really care for it. Um, I just I can't get a good feel for it. It's not. I don't. know, I still think Reach has the best uh the the best rifle, uh, um, single shot rifle of any Halo game, but um. Listen, I won't say no to to new new abilities, new weapons. The new whatever shroud special ability equipment thing, it's kind of goofy, it's kind of silly. I don't really love it, uh, but I got to say, overall, my, my, my issue with Halo Infinite Season 3 is it's a good update overall. Like, the, the, the maps are good. I appreciate more content. Even if it's not like a gun I'm dying to use, it's, you know, more content. The game is more content. I'm, I welcome it. But there's just something about Halo at this point where it's, all the bad press it's gotten over the past year, all the bad news, and the toxic community surrounding Halo, and everything about it, has just left me where I'm so exhausted by Halo. Oh, the, oh, the new armor core is fucking awesome. I love the new armor core that the the uh, battle pass comes with, or that the season starts with, whatever. But it's just despite all these pros and all the good things about it, I'm just exhausted by Halo Infinite. Like I, I set it up and I go. I'm like, yeah, I did all of the first two seasons. I, I finished out those those uh battle passes and sure I'm gonna try to finish all of season three's battle pass, but like I just I, I'm just exhausted by everything Halo right now. I feel like I, I, I've never been the person to say Halo needs to take a 10 year break. I've never been that guy. Even when people are complaining about Halo four or, you know, Halo five being so bad that you should take a massive break. No, I was never that person in agreement. I always thought Halo Halo's great, keep it coming, baby. I love it. But after Halo Infinite and just what a rough year it's been and just everything that with how badly Microsoft's fucked up everything at three four three, I just feel like I just feel like I need a break from Halo. I don't know if Halo needs a break, but I think I think I need a break from Halo. So, hopefully, I don't feel that way for very long. Hopefully, I come back to wanting to play it, and I really enjoy season three because I think it genuinely has some great content. Um, the battle passes in Halo Infinite are always hot trash. I don't think there's ever anything good in any of them. I just buy them and play them just to grind them and have a reason to play Halo and to enjoy it. But um, but yeah, the new maps are good. the The opening cutscenes are are really cool for the new season, uh, and it's just. I don't know, man, it's like, I feel embarrassed to admit, like, I'm enjoying Destiny 2 and Modern Warfare 2 way more than Halo Infinite right now, and I don't think that's because Halo Infinite's a bad game, I think it's because it's a game that was released way prematurely by a team that was horribly managed by Microsoft. And, and the game has just suffered so much content drought and so much toxicity from its fandom and so much bullshit in news and behind the scenes stuff I didn't want to really necessarily know about or all this crap for so long that I'm just, I'm just kind of exhausted by Halo right now. And it's sad to say that about my, my, my favorite first person shooter of all time, one of my favorite video game franchises of all time, but it's kind of how I feel at the moment. So Infinite 3, really good shit. Personally, just not not really feeling it, but that's fine. It'll be there for me when I'm ready for it, so that's that's all good. The last two games are the real out of left field. You might be saying to yourself, Jesse, you're not that eclectic. You're not that cool. You're just playing Call of Duty and Destiny. It's pretty pretty typical stuff for you, dumbass. Listen here, J- Joe. Listen here, Joe, assuming everyone who listens to this podcast is named Joe. Uh, I'm playing two games you never guess I would have played. The first one, out of left field. The second one, out of the left field next to the field i'm in okay we're talking fallout 76 is the first one so Kronky's been on my ass, always making fun of me, you played so much Call of Duty, when did you become such a basic bitch, why do you like Call of Duty so much, blah 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 blah, you should play this, you should play that, the Fallout he's really been trying to push me to play is New Vegas, it's the same Fallout everyone wants you to play because apparently it's the best, and I don't doubt it, I believe it, I like Obsidian, I'm sure, I would love Fallout New Vegas, there's just for whatever reason, I've just never gotten around to it, I played Fallout 3, never finished it, played Fallout 4, got to the very end, never finished it, for some reason, it's just never happened for me, but, Fallout 76, this is actually the second time I've ever tried it uh, because the first time I tried on stream once and I got fussy because I was having a really bad time paying attention. But this time, I sat by myself, lights off, a glass of uh, 2008 Code Red with me to help unwind for the evening, and I'm playing Fallout 76. And uh, some more interesting notes about it. I'm playing it on my Series S through cloud streaming did not download the game because I just don't have any more storage on my xboxes right now and I didn't want to delete anything so I'm like you know what it's a game that's super experimental for me because I don't see myself sticking with it so let's just play it with cloud streaming let's test out how cloud streaming is doing and see where we are with that and I gotta be honest on both fronts I am so pleasantly surprised and shocked when you when as someone who didn't pay attention or give a shit about Fallout 76 when it first came out, and I missed that whole initial wave of fan outrage and outcry about there's no NPCs in the game, the lighting's all fucked up, and the game is a bunch of broken promises and empty uh, empty promises and lies and all this yada yada yada. I didn't care, I didn't pay attention. Why would I want a Fallout live service game? I don't even really like Fallout that much to begin with. Not my problem, not my game, right? But as someone who is now playing the game for the first time, 4 years after its release, after all the content updates, after all the expansions, after all the the fixes and the problem solvings and the make goods that they that they've done with this game, I got to say as a first timer coming in playing Fallout 76, I don't see any of the complaints people have about this game. Listen, I get it. If you were anticipating this game and you bought it when it launched and you had a bad experience because the game was broken and fundamentally missing core features of the game uh, of the of the Fallout franchise and just it just wasn't a good time. Listen, I I get it. You have every right to be outraged at Bethesda. You have every right to say this game sucks and it doesn't deserve your time or money and to never go back to it because first impressions are everything. And why should a game why should a game ask sixty why should a publisher ask for sixty dollars and forty hours of your time for a game that's just not ready to go when you buy it? That's fucked up, that's wrong, it's fundamentally I'm I'm against it. So I respect people who just are permanently burned by this game and don't want anything to do with it. I get that. But for those of you that are like me and never played this game, you got Game Pass. It's right there. It doesn't cost you anything except some free time to give it a go. I'm really loving Fallout 76, actually. I think this is probably the most I've ever jived with a Fallout game, and that might have more to do with like uh, where I am today in my life with, with my taste in gaming and less to do with it being better than Fallout 3 or 4, because it's probably not better than Fallout 3 or 4. It's just that I'm enjoying Fallout 76 at this point in time. A lot more than I enjoyed Fallout Four back in 2015 when I played it and got through most of the game. So, 76, yeah. I mean, I'm playing it single player. I, eventually, I'm going to meet up with Kronky and we're going to we're going to play some multiplayer shit. But uh, right now, I'm just playing it like it's a single player, just another entry in the Fallout series, as if it's just Fallout Five, right? And I'm really, really enjoying it. I think the quest lines are interesting. The world is really pretty. I love just having the radio on in the background and listening to all the all the, the Fallout-type music, all the, the country and the 50s and the Americana and just having all that shit going on while I just explore this wasteland and interact and do these kind of mind-numbing quests and tasks and just like killing this thing, collecting this thing, plugging this thing into that. Going over here, collecting a water sample, boiling it, just just being stupid and just fiddling around in this world and having no real purpose, but just enjoying the game. And it's really working for me. And I gotta say, man, Fallout 4 definitely really made Fallout. You know, definitely really improved on Fallout 3's god awful first person shooting. Uh, but Fallout 76 takes it up to a whole nother level. Like this game is a competent. Like when you're when you're pulling out guns and shooting enemies it's competent it's no call of duty or halo or anything but it is a damn competent shooter experience at this point and that's always been one of my big hang-ups with fallout so i feel like i don't have that now and when i play the game i'm not afraid of combat because it's not it's not miserably it's, it's not a miserable experience anymore so i don't know like the world i'm just kind of grooving with it i'm playing like an hour every night before i go to bed i'm just kind of like you know turn it on I can play it on any console I want in the house because I'm just cloud streaming it I'm not I didn't download it I can just play it on any device I want just flip it on for like about an hour before bed do a little just uh you know kind of get myself to doze off for the night by just exploring around listening to some music doing a little couple quests just kind of building some stuff here exploring some stuff there and it's just a it's been a really soothing and fun immersive little experience just kind of dicking around in fallout 76 i don't know if i'll stick with it maybe i'll put 100 hours into the game maybe i'll put 20 hours into the game or maybe i don't ever play it again i don't know but you know i'm about five four or five hours in and so far i'm just having a real good time (laughs) and uh i definitely see myself playing playing a lot more of it and on the other side of that you know i want to touch on cloud stream a little bit i've had some hit or miss experiences um with cloud streaming this game, not being super fast or twitchy or anything, I, I find to be such a perfect candidate for cloud streaming. And I got to say, man, like, I'm not getting serious lag or anything. I'm, I'm getting, z- like, what feels like zero input lag which is insanely impressive. Like I I keep forgetting I'm streaming because I'm having no issues with the second I press a button, what happens on screen corresponds. Like I'm having no issue with that, which is super impressive. The only times I notice I'm streaming is when like every now and then for like a couple of seconds, the picture quality will get just a, a little touch fuzzy. Not like fuzzy, like, oh my God, I can't see the game. The game looks like ass, but like just a touch fuzzy where it's like trying to buffer a bit and I'm like okay you know that's not ideal but like that's if that's the worst i'm experiencing this is a pretty damn good experience this is i will say this is the only the only other good experience with cloud streaming i've ever had was when i played um shadow of the tomb raider on my on my razor android phone in its entirety uh, a couple years back this is the best experience i've had since that with cloud streaming where i'm just I'm just running into virtually no issues. I'm just having a great time playing. I keep forget after I end a session, Xbox will prompt me and be like, "Hey, it looks like you're playing a decent amount of this game. Do you want to maybe install it? Are you ready to install it on your hard drive?" And I'm like, "Nah, I don't have storage. Fuck you. I'll just keep streaming it. I'm totally fine to do that. I'll just keep I'll keep streaming it. And uh, it's uh, so far, it's been a good experience for me. So I'm just I'm really digging Fallout 76 and really excited to get into more of that and continue to explore the Uh, Appalachia. Dude, why do they call it Uh, Appalachia? Appalachia? Listen, I'm from Georgia. They call it Appalachia, okay? I think. I don't know. Anyway, so that's Fallout 76. So that's a little out of left field for me. That's not really my bread and butter. That's not really the kind of thing I play. I don't know what happened. Maybe ever since I played Skyrim all of a sudden, I guess I like Bethesda. So maybe, maybe I will like Starfield. Maybe I should be excited about that game. I don't know. But the last game I've been playing, and this one I have the least amount to say, but I want to mention nonetheless, But I want to mention, nonetheless, is uh, just the most out-of-left-field game I could possibly play, which is Guilty Gear Strive. Um, This game just came to Game Pass, uh, but I think it's been out for about a year or so on PC and other platforms. Uh, But anyway, Guilty Gear Strive, for those who don't know, and I actually have no familiarity with, with if this is related to something else in any other anime universe, or if it's just an original idea for a fighter game, but it is this super stylistic anime fighting fighting game and i mean like traditional fighter like like street fighter tekken style like fighter game fighting game and um i i don't know i think the thing that drew me to it is aesthetically it's just one of the prettiest fighting games to look at ever and every time i see this game i've known about it for a long time but every time i see it i'm just like damn i hate fighting games but like that just looks pretty it's like it's Aside from, like, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, this is just, like, the only other fighting game I've ever looked at and been like, I wish I was more into this genre just so I could experience more of this aesthetic. And, you know what, I decided, fuck it, you know, it's a small download, it's on Game Pass, I'm gonna give it a try this weekend. So I downloaded it, I'm like, I'll probably play five, ten minutes of it and be like, nope, I hate fighters, I'm not into it, but... No, I played about an hour of it, and not because an hour was all I could take, but I I played an hour of it because I just I'm playing so many freaking games this weekend, and uh, that I just had only so much time for each one of them. So I played an hour of Guilty Gear Strive, and I got I gotta say, man, I don't love fighting games. I still don't think this is gonna be the one to really make me a believer and a lover of the of the genre, but I really really enjoy playing this game just because I I love staring at it, I love looking at it in action. And I have it's because I'm so smitten by the aesthetic of this game, it's given me the patience to be like, okay, let me stop. Let me pause. Let me go to the, let me go to the menu. All right, here's the combo list. This is how you do this attack. All right, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to become proficient with, with these three moves and see if that can get me through a couple battles, you know, a couple fights. And I'm I'm kind of picking up. I'm doing so, you know, those fucking like Street Fighter fucking swoop, you know, down up left B kind of shit and I'm like hitting the combos and doing the thing and trying to be methodical and and, and deliberate with my, with my moves as I'm playing this game. And, Again, it's a very acquired taste, in my opinion. I I know like I know people like covet games like Street Fighter Two, all all four hundred sixty three versions of it, and uh, it's like a it, this genre is very beloved. and People love Tekken, and people love Marvel vs. Capcom and stuff. But this this genre is just ne- I have no love for this genre whatsoever. But for whatever given reason, Guilty Gear Strive is just it's just kind of calling out to me just a little bit. And I feel like I got to grab this moment by the balls and really make the most of it. You know, if I ever want any chance of being a little more cultured and having some kind of touchstone experience with the genre, a little more of a, of an experience, then I, I got to take advantage of this opportunity and explore it to its fullest potential. Like, Listen, I've had run ins, I've had I've had little moments with a couple of Mortal Kombat games. There have definitely been some Mortal Kombat games I've had a good time with. Um, I used to play Soul Calibur, especially back on the Sega Dreamcast, the original Soul Calibur. I liked that game a lot growing up. So I, I used to play Def Jam. So I've 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 played my fair share of fighting games. It's not like I have no exposure to the genre, but man, it's been it's been fifteen years at least since any game in this genre has even remotely made me turned my head and been like, "Eh, maybe maybe I should try that. So the fact that Guilty Gear Strive is doing that for me, I feel like I got to stop what I'm doing and really give this game some attention because, you know, people talking about Street Fighter 5 or 6 or whatever, Street Fighter 6, the one that comes out later this this summer and all that, and Tekken 8 and all that, I'm just like, I, I could give two shits about those games. It just doesn't matter to me, but... I I want I want to be more open minded and I want to have more exposure and more and more experience with these genres. So I'm trying to take it where I can get it right now. Guilty Gear Strive. It's got my interest a little peaked and that's that's not an easy thing for a game in this genre to do. And so I'm really trying to make the most of the uh, of the opportunity. So with that, you know, I've had about 10 between like 8 and 12 hours maybe to play video games this past week, which is a lot more time than I usually have. And uh, I've just been spreading love between Call of Duty and Destiny 2 and Halo Infinite and Fallout 76 and Guilty Gear Strive. I'm, I'm into fighting games all of a sudden. I'm into fucking e- COD esports. I'm fucking, I'm cloud gaming like some guy uh, who lives in some place where he has really good internet but no video game consoles. It's, it's fucking crazy. It's the wild, wild west out here in Florida. There's something in the water. It's driving me nuts. It's making me do things I wouldn't normally do. So, guys, pray for me. Keep me in your thoughts. And for the love of God. So if you if you, if you if you find me playing Farming Simulator or some shit like that, just 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 go ahead. And tell my mom it's it's over. He's gone because I'm just I'm losing it over here. I got to keep my toxic cisgender white male image up of just only liking Call of Duty and Halo. Please, for love of God. All right, that's it for what I've been gaming, what I've been playing, what I've been gaming while I'm playing, guys. Let's uh, woo, four hours in the podcast and we're. Just barely through the opening segments. Guys, let's get into the main news segments of the week. Take a quick break here. Breathe, stretch, pet your kitties, and then we'll rejoin, convene, reconvene. And we'll talk about Suicide Squad and some other really exciting news stories. Okay? So, BRB bitches. Alrighty, guys. Let's jump into the news here. Starting off as teased before, we got Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, potentially being delayed so according to VGC, on Thursday, well, related by VGC, a Bloomberg source claimed that Warner has decided to push the title from its previously announced May release date to the second half of 2023. Following the report, which Warner has yet to officially comment on, so nothing's confirmed, Giant Bomb reporter Jeff Grubb said a reliable source had told him that Rocksteady's game may not arrive until next year. Quote, I don't want to cause any panic or anything, but I've heard that it's not even coming this year. I'm hearing 2024. Earlier this evening, I heard they're like, this delay is, (laughs) this is a delay-ass delay. This is like a bigger delay than has ever been put out there. Well, we'll see, he added. This stuff is hard to nail down for sure. I'll say this source has always been a very good one, however. And quote, the claim of a fresh delay follows a poorly received Suicide Squad gameplay showcase last month during Sony's State of Play event, a 15-minute show, uh, of the game attracted some criticism from fans due to the game's live service elements such as requirements to play online even in single player mode as well as battle pass stuff even though all cosmetic guys this is a, a huge one if, if true because initially the rumor this broke like right after the podcast last week but initially the rumor was like okay they might they might delay it a few week a few months and try to like, I don't know, that's the thing is it was like, well, what are they going to do? Because the game's already been designed around this live service model. What else is there to do other than just, you know, polish things up? There's not like you, you got you to gotta ship this product. Like you made what you made. You made your bed, you know, laying it kind of deal. So at first it was confusing because it's like, I mean, you you can always add another co- uh, coat of polish, but you can't fundamentally change what this is with a two or three month delay. However, now we're hearing the game might be delayed a year, which is even more confounding because it's like this game is done. Whatever this game is, it's completed. It's ready to play. Like if someone had access to this game today, they could play the finished product, which is so weird because if you delay it a year, you're not gonna strip it down to its bare essence and remove its live service elements because the game was designed around these these things. It's always online play, these battle pass grinding experience points popping off as you shoot at enemies and things like that like the game is designed around that gameplay loop so all you can do is roll things back but it's always going to be some kind of frankenstein product of you know what was a live service game that they retroactively tried to repatch and restitch together to be something else because people said they didn't like it so i just find it confounding that they would even at this point take the money and the time to try and you know, it's like if you have any confidence that this game is good, I understand live service games are like kind of being sent out to die these days because it was a trend a handful of years ago that everyone was trying to get on. And now it's like all these games that were greenlit during the height of like the destiny craze are starting to come out. They're all finished in development. They're ready, they're ready to come out. And people are like, hey, we're, we're over this shit. We don't want this anymore. And it's it's hurting a lot of games. We saw that a little bit. You know, the other year with, uh, with Outriders and games like that, where it's just like, yeah, this game is really good, but like nobody wants a live service game. Uh, we saw a little bit with uh, Batman uh, Gotham Knights, which had a little bit of live service stuff going on. You could tell some of that had probably been peeled back. In fact, there were there were reports and, and stories coming out about how that was actually the case uh, with some elements of the game. We saw Marvel's Avengers. It was this live service type product that even the Avengers IP couldn't save, and nobody really wanted it to be what it was. They just wanted something entirely different. So I think there's a lot of this like panic with with uh, with Rocksteady where they're this beloved developer that always makes these super triple A game titles that everyone just adores and they're kind of like this um this showcase this example to the industry of what triple A can be and what AAA with with a licensed IP can be and 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 just for them to have this game that's come, that's just nearly here, and it has this the stink on it of like, hey, this is a this is a a fad game, this is a trend follower, this is not a trend setter, and it just doesn't fully, you know, quite honestly, look like a Suicide Squad game, like what a what a Suicide Squad game should look like. You know, it must be terrifying for them because, what you know, why why would why would they want to ruin their reputation this late in the game? It's been so long since they put out a game that this could completely ruin. Everything people love about them. If if the first time in eight years they come out with a game, it ends up being kind of a dud and this thing that nobody wants. So I wonder almost if publisher WB is looking at the insane sales with Hogwarts Legacy and thinking to themselves, you know, this is going to hurt us. We're 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 leaning on this money, but we can afford another delay on this game. And if that's what if that if, if we really think we can turn the tide, turn the ship around and, and get this game into a completely different product that will make people happy, maybe it'll be worth our time and money to do just that. I think that's a sunken cost fallacy. I think at this point the game is what it is. You gotta you gotta ship it out there and let it be what it is. And I think regardless of whether this game is a live service game or not, it's gonna sell like crack. I, I think you gotta be fucking crazy if you think just because a bunch of loud minority gamers are are, are out there in, in screaming at the top of their lungs because they fucking want their their Suicide Squad game to be this uh super nitty-gritty single player offline game and ends up being more of a shared Kind of experience a multiplayer game. I I think you gotta be crazy if you think that's gonna stop the general public at large from wanting the new DC game, the new suicide squad game, the new game where you fight Batman and Superman, that game is going to sell no matter what. So I think it's a little silly to be quite honest. It, it makes you wonder, does, does rock city have that kind of pull over their publisher to be like, Hey, we got We got to delay this thing and you got to let us do it because this is going to devastate our reputation and, 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 and ruin all the goodwill we built. And the thing a publisher is just okay with that. It's just insane. And you got to assume that's what's going on here. If it's going to get a full year's delay, so this is really an unprecedented kind of situation, and I just feel like there's just there's just so much there's so much head scratching and and so many questions to be asked when thinking about why you would let something like this happen. Because from the publisher's perspective, you have no obligation to do anything other than put a product out on the market that's going to make a lot of fucking money. And I think regardless of whether fans and gamers want this to be a live service game, I think in its current incarnation, you put this thing on the market, it's going to be nothing more, nothing less. Than a game that's going to make a lot of fucking money. <laughs> it's already been in development for so damn long. The only reason you really should delay a game like this at this point is if there is something that is truly fundamentally broken and wrong about the game, and will su- you know, unless it is a. A, a cyberpunk 2077 type game where it's like this game should not be coming out there's really no reason not to release this game and i i highly doubt that's the case and that's where the game is i i'm in fact i'm very confident this game is probably in a state that it is polished and ready to go and it's 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 what it was supposed to be content complete and all the the thing is i understand people are tired of this of this this trend this this games as a service thing but i don't understand how anyone saw that gameplay showcase and thought anything other than this game looks like a pretty good time. You don't have to buy the Battle Pass. You don't have to obsess over the cosmetics and the grind and all that. You can just play the game as you want. And I understand the always online thing is a separate argument if you want to get into that. But uh, from where I'm standing, I, I'm just looking at this game and like, listen, I'm spoken for when it comes to live service games. I'm I'm already spread thin enough trying to play Halo Destiny and Call of Duty all at the same time. Like I, I'm not taking on another live service game. It's just simply not happening. And I'm sure the majority of people are in that same boat. But I don't look at this game and say, I can't play, it's a live service game, look at me, I don't have time for this. I look at this game and I say, I'm going to enjoy this game for 15-20 hours, I'm going to play through all the main story content, experience the the campaign, enjoy the game while, I ha- while, while that's all going on, and then I'm going to put the game down, delete it off my hard drive, and move on with life, just as if it were any other Batman Arkham game, because... That's what I know I can do in this game, even if it is live service, even if the game wants me to play it multiple times and with friends and repeat certain content and wait for DLC and expansions. I don't care about any of that because I look at this game. I said I think it looks it looks fun. Looks like a good game. I'm still very interested in the premise. I think a Suicide Squad game is really cool and I will pick this game up and play it, just like I did with with Gotham Knights. I, I I started the game, I played through the entirety of the story, I beat it, and then I immediately deleted it off my hard drive and moved on with my life because I just I don't need a game to to try and compete with the place in my life where Destiny and Halo currently reside, but I'm always down for a cool new campaign or story-driven content in the the, the Justice League universe. I think that'd be fun. Like I'll play that. So I just don't understand why We have to treat these games as if, you know, they are all like, oh, oh man, we got Boycott Suicide Squad because it has live service elements. It's like, just don't just don't engage with that shit. You know, like I played Outriders. I played the campaign. I loved it. And I moved on with my life. I didn't play it after that because I don't want Outriders to be my destiny or Halo replacement game. I don't need that at all. So I just don't understand why players can't engage with a product to the capacity they want to engage with it at and also i i I can't understand why publishers and developers thought this was something worth chasing for so long it's just kind of tone deaf to think that this was something that they they thought you know back six seven years ago when all these games were being greenlit that yeah live service is the way of the future we all need to make a live service game there's only so much attention so many games and it seems pretty clear that Call of Duty and Fortnite have basically won the mind share of 99% of the games industry. So trying to fight for that space with, with your with your freaking licensed superhero live service game is a little silly, but I don't think it means that this game's gonna necessarily be bad. I think you can still probably have a really good time playing through the campaign on Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Uh, however, now the game's in such a precarious damned if I do, damned if I don't situation. I personally am of the mind they shouldn't delay this and they should just put it out as is, but it seems like all, all but confirmed the game's getting a heavy, heavy delay. And, you know, you delay something like this a year out when it's this close to being ready to launch, it says nothing other than we are not confident about the way people are going to respond to this game. So, not a good look, but hopefully whatever it is, whenever we get it, this game's good and people are able to see past the stuff they don't like and just enjoy the core content at the at the very least. I don't have expectations that this game is going to change the world or revolutionize gaming. And I understand the Batman Arkham trilogy is iconic. And people like to look at that and point to that and say, hey, that is like a turning point in the games industry for licensed video games. And to see the the, the minds and the visionaries behind that go on to just do a live service game. It, I get it. It's disappointing. But if you can not think of it in that light and just think of it from the perspective of this is going to be yet another game to have a good weekend with or a good week or two with and then move on with your life, eh, I I think you might be you might have something fun on your hands with Suicide Squad. So I I don't know. Lots of ways to look at it. I don't necessarily begrudge people for being sour on this game, but from a personal level, I just I don't know, man. I don't I don't care. I'm still if this game comes out in May, as as was shown i'm happy to play it to be perfectly honest i think it looks cool it looks a little weird i don't know why everyone's like so bouncy and floaty and and all that doesn't necessarily make sense i i think but at the same time it looks fun so i don't care all right this next one i'm pretty excited about um the timing couldn't have been better but after the show last week shortly after capcom um had a uh had a stream event and during that event they uh They announced that their third-person dinosaur shooting game, Exoprimal, which was announced last year, uh, will launch this summer, and surprise, surprise, it will launch into Xbox Game Pass when it does. The game will hit Xbox Series X, S, Xbox One, and Steam on July 14, 2023. The release date was confirmed on Steam ahead of the Capcom Spotlight digital event that took place last week. In addition to the release date, the publisher confirmed that the game is going to get a beta test. Uh, which will take place on consoles and PC on March 17th to March 19th, so this weekend with cross play, uh, cross-platform play. So you can look on- online to, for more information on how to get involved in that. Uh, but the game was announced last year and billed as an online team-based action game that pits humanity against cutting-edge exosuit technology against hu- uh, history's most ferocious beasts, dinosaurs. Uh, the game is said in the year 2040, Exoprimal sees humanity's existence threatened by the waves of dinosaur outbreaks across the globe. A corporation called Abius has developed an advanced AI that can pinpoint the location of upcoming outbreaks, as well as exosuits that attack, tank, and support pilots to combat invaders. Exoprimal's main game mode, Dino Survival, sees two teams of five players competing to be the first one to complete various PVE and PvP missions. Okay, if you haven't seen a gameplay trailer for this, if you haven't seen a trailer uh, at all for this game, please do yourself a favor and freaking look it up. This game looks so so cool. Uh, By that same token, I have no confidence that this game is going to be good. So this is, in my opinion, the absolute perfect candidate for a a Game Pass game. Game Pass is usually, like, Microsoft is really good at at pinpointing these types of games and getting them on Game Pass. These games where it's like, ooh, that looks really good, but I don't think I'd pay 60, 70 bucks for it because I'm not 100% sure that it'll, you know, it'll really end up being something super excellent. And the great thing about Game Pass is I don't got to commit my money, and I still get to play it, and sometimes, you know, it's like, yeah, this is definitely worth 60 bucks. And sometimes I play it, and I'm like, really fucking glad I didn't buy that. I'm really glad I didn't pay money for that. And so this this definitely looks like one of those games where it could go either way, but judging by the trailers, I Ooh, this game looks so cool. You know, like these freaking Exo Titan freaking robotic Transformer Destiny looking Warframe looking motherfucker Gundam things, and... Third person running around, hacking, and slashing, and shooting, surviving against these fast-paced hordes of, of dinosaurs. And it's freaking crazy. Would I prefer for it to be like a first-person shooter? Yeah, maybe. But this looks cool as hell. And, uh, I, dude, I, I got to say, I love I love this setting. It's like this like major city center. It's Tokyo, New York-looking motherfucker where you're just running around and fighting the hell out of these uh, dinosaurs. I, I really, really dig what this game's going for. And it just... Uh, it looks so Japanese while also just looking so frantic and fun in all the best ways. I, I really I really am looking forward to giving this a try. So the fact that it's a Game Pass launch, uh, day one launch, super huge win for Xbox. And important to note, this is a July release date. So this is going to be a perfect game for that that always, always predictable uh, summer drought that we experience every year. Where for some reason, game publishers just forget, hey, you can put games out in. June, July, August—those are months you can put games out during them, and uh, so I'm really grateful for that as well. It kind of fills out, rounds out the uh, the calendar a little, a little more evenly. Like I, I don't foresee me not being able to happily enjoy this game, enjoy this game when it comes out because it's not coming out against five other huge titles, which is super excellent. So I might try to get in on the open beta just to give it a try and, and, and see how it feels because this is like again this is one of those games where it looks so cool but i am completely on the fence about you know how it's actually going to turn out and if it's actually going to be fun but man just getting up with a, a team of friends and, and and surviving hordes of dinosaurs in these exosuits is going to be so badass uh, i hope and so i'm really looking forward to it i know a lot of people are salty because they want it to be Dino Crisis, like, oh, Capcom, you have the Dino Crisis IP, why don't you make a new Dino Crisis game, and then they make this, and they're like, well, fuck, but to me, I see this, and I'm like, this is so cool, I don't care, I'm I'm totally happy with this, so we're really looking forward to this, if you haven't seen a trailer, again, I highly recommend you take a look at it, it is, uh, if you like frantic action games, and just crazy over-the-top action scenarios, I think this is going to be something to wrap your alley. All right, next up, our third of four major stories today, Mr. Cliff Blazinski has uh yeah, Cliff Blazinski, the father of Gears of War, as VGC reports, has said that he's considered making a first person uh, game uh, Gears of War, or sorry, that he considered making a first person Gears of War game prior to the IP being sold to Microsoft. Speaking on the Xbox era podcast, when asked about Epic's vision for the fourth game in the IP before it was sold, Blazinski said Yeah, I can tell you that I wanted to actually uh, consider doing first-person with it. Can you imagine chainsawing a Locus in first-person? While Blazinski didn't elaborate on this idea for a theoretical fourth game, it would have made or marked a huge departure for the series, which has been third-person since its inception. Blazinski also claimed when Microsoft took over the IP and and, uh, that the focus returned to making to the game to make its horror roots way more key for the Xbox Maker. This was, quote, this was Phil Spencer's main note when Microsoft bought the IP. When talking to Rod Ferguson, he said, let's get back to the horror stuff. Blazinski also served as lead designer on the first three games in the series during the 20-year spell at Epic Games, which came to an end in 2012 after Gears of War 3 was released and two years before Microsoft acquired the IP. The Gears of War IP was sold to Microsoft in 2014 when when they formed the first party team, The Coalition, to helm the future of the series. Despite the franchise's success, Blazinski recently told IGN that he thought Epic had run out of ideas for where to take gears following the departure of several key staff. He said, quote, "'Honestly, I think that once Lee Perry... Um, the game designer, lead game designer of Gears 2, myself and Rod Ferguson, producer of Gears of War. Before we all left, I believe that Epic didn't really know what to do with the franchise. They hadn't shipped a game in a while, the Unreal Engine was doing rather well, but we were growing and they probably needed some income, even though they really didn't know what to do with the future of the franchise. After six months, it was claimed that the Coalition, sorry, that's end quote. Last month, we learned the Coalition has shifted full attention to Gears 6 after two games in development that were internally canceled uh quietly without ever being announced so this is cool stuff man uh, honestly uh maybe unpopular opinion i'd be kind of down for first person gears of war because i love gears of war but i prefer first person shooting over third person so much although i do like third person shooters i think there's a time and place for them so uh, xbox has a lot more diversity and flavor with uh with one of its bigger franchises being a third person cover-based shooter instead of just another first person shooter however i can't help but think about Bulletstorm the people can fly developed game that was made in conjunction with epic the guys who make gears of war uh that was that game was 2009 2010 i think 2010 i want to say dude shout out to bullet storm i played that game for the first time a few years ago but goddamn bullet storm is such a good game that game is uh gears of war meets doom that is that is what bullet storm is and Holy hell, I I can't help but think like that's what Gears of War could maybe kind of be more like if it were in first person. And damn, I love that game so much. I love that hypothetical game so much. Uh, The fact that we're never going to get more Bulletstorm just breaks my heart because I love the first Bulletstorm so very, very, very much. So just to think about, you know, Gears of War going first person and kind of being like more Bulletstorm. God that just that gets me so psyched but obviously that's not gonna happen that was a hypothetical from a bygone era I think that could have been that's that's not gonna happen but nonetheless um, it, it's interesting to see Cliff speak so candidly about this I, I do want to kind of get the audience's take on this because I think this kind of brings up a bigger a bigger talking point in the Xbox community. Let, let me preface with this, I really love Gears of War. I really like Gears of War. I actually wasn't a huge fan of it during its heyday, and it was kind of after the fact that I eventually developed a love for it, and I gotta say, I actually think I like the Coalition developed Gears 4 and 5 more than the original trilogy. I know that's, that's kind of uh, sacrilege, it's kind of not okay to say, but... I really do truly feel that way, that I, I'm just a huge fan of what the Coalition's done with Gears, and I, I really still like the whole franchise, but I've become more of a fan as the Co- as the Coalition has continued to shepherd the franchise. However, there is something to be said about, you know, kind of the key the key talent, the main guys behind the series kind of coming out and admitting, like, there was a time where we just didn't know what to do with the the series. We felt like it had kind of run its course. It did its thing. It was time to move on, and I remember... I remember there was a time in like the late 360, maybe even early Xbox 1 years where I used to look at PlayStation and I'd be like it's so sad that PlayStation just kind of drops these really great games, you know? It's like man like um Resistance, like that's a cool series. Why did they just stop making the Resistance games, you know? It, it, like that's an example, but throughout history like you look at anything in the PlayStation lineup like like a uh, Sly Cooper or freaking infamous or any of these games it's like hey that was a cool game why didn't they ever make another one of those and sony has a very sony historically has had a very like this culture of like you make two or three games in a series and and then you shelve it and you move on let's create something brand new let's do a new ip and with rare exception you know you get like uncharted 4 or like ratchet and clank a series that's gone on forever and ever and ever but aside from those rare exceptions playstation always has kind of operated in that capacity and i used to look at it and be like. I love that they always get new IP. I love that PlayStation's always doing something fresh and different because I think it keeps things interesting. And I wish Xbox always had something fresh and different. But a thing I really loved about Xbox is it's like, I've never been one of those people to say, let's just end gear. Let's just put an end to Halo because... Man, especially as like a diehard Halo fan, it's like I, I feel like you can just keep going with Halo. Like Halo, is something you can always find fun stories to tell. Maybe one day you do put an end to Master Chief's story, but you can always find a way to expand that universe and tell cool stories. I I, I like the idea that Xbox has kind of like PlayStation quality games, but a Nintendo sensibility of like, hey, we're not going to stop making Mario. We're just going to keep innovating on Mario. So I always appreciate that about Xbox. I didn't have to worry about. Gears of War or Halo disappearing because I knew that they would just always continue to find a way to innovate on these franchises and continue to do them. But now I look at like the current outlook, a world where PlayStation's just killing it. Everything they make is either a new IP or one of few sequels to one of their current existing IPs and they just keep knocking it out of the park every game they make it's just like boom record sales everyone loves it even like God of War which is kind of a continuation they had to like kind of soft reboot and reimagine it you know you could argue God of War 2018 kind of was to God of War what like a Gears 4 in first person could have been for the Gears of War series where it's like they really kind of reimagined the series and soft rebooted it with with God of War 2018 and I wonder we're looking at Halo Infinite just kind of being this fumbled mess in a lot of ways, despite you know its core game being quite good. And we're looking at Gears 4 and 5, which I think are excellent games, but then the Coalition tries to then go off and do some other projects for a while and put this very direct sequel, Gear 6, that kind of needs to be told on ice for a while. And then they kind of cancel a couple projects and then reluctantly come back to Gear 6 and all this stuff. And we're seeing these kinds of trends, and I'm like, huh. Now, we could chalk this up to bad management on Xbox's behalf, and, you know, especially in the case of 343, that's probably a large part of it, but I can't help but wonder, it's like, is there maybe a point in Xbox just kind of being like, hey, it's it's time to maybe just move on, you know? Maybe the, a thing that's holding us back is this constant need to hold on to these IP because they've been lucrative or they've been successful, they've been proven in the past. Like, maybe, maybe 343 wouldn't have been in such a dire position if after Halo... 4 or 5 you were like yeah let's uh you know after halo 4 in particular you know cortana dies you know what if after halo 4 and i say this as someone who adores halo 5 what if after halo 4 343 were just like okay now go you know microsoft's like go make whatever the fuck you want if you want to make another halo great if you want to make a brand new ip go for it we encourage it like what would that have looked like what what would the future of 343 look like? What game would they have made? Would it have been good? Would people like them? Would people still hate them the way they do? Like how would that have played out? And I think about the coalition too. It's like, what if instead of what if instead of like continuing Gears, Microsoft was like, hey, we want to acquire a team, acquire Epic or whatever. And they're like, nah, we don't want to do that. They're like, okay, we're going to start a team and people who worked on Gears of War, you know, we're going to try and incentivize you guys to come work here because you guys do great work and we want to incentivize you to come be part of Team Xbox. And you hire the talent that worked on Gears or as much as you can. And you go, hey, if you guys want to make Gears of War, go do that. Otherwise, if you want to do something completely different, go do that. And maybe that is how the coalition's run. It actually seems like the coalition has been given a little bit more free reign to kind of operate as, however they want. Although being named the coalition, I think it's pretty obvious to say that Microsoft formed them with the intention of you're going to make years of war. And I just wonder, it's like if you just let these guys loose and do whatever, is that better than this this current situation we have where like, xbox is coming out with these games that like people are torn on and it's, oh, it's not as good as the past and maybe you let sleeping dogs lie or whatever the case may be like and and i only suggest this kind of half-heartedly because like I, I think back to like i love halo 4 and 5 i think people are out of their fucking minds hating on those games those games are great i love gears 4 and 5 i think those games are way 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 underrated i think they should get the, the level of, of attention that gears 2 got because they're just so good and um halo infinite's a great game it's just got a lot of there's just, nah, I won't get into it. But the thing, the thing I wonder, I guess, is just, um, do you think it might've been beneficial in some way for Microsoft to have just been like, we don't want to have a Halo studio and a Gears of War studio. We want to have the ability for our studios to make those games that they choose to, but we just want to keep it open and creative and, and let ideas flourish and not necessarily hold developers beholden to a known quantity of an IP because i'm looking at what playstation's got going on with success after success after success and then what xbox has gone on with like sometimes success or sometimes underrated success because people are a little burnt down the franchise or sometimes just a bad game or sometimes an unnecessary sequel it's like what is what xbox is doing really what's best by their developers and by their ip and i and i and i think it's obvious that that there is some admission on xbox's part that that they are aware of this because They let the Coalition go try to make some other games for a while. Um, They went on a buying spree to get all these other developers and publishers because they realized they can't just rest on Forza Gears and Halo forever and ever and ever. And so obviously there's some admission if you just read between the lines and see kind of how Xbox has operated in recent history. But it just makes me wonder because... You look at their biggest competition, PlayStation. They've experienced nothing but success. You look at the 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 Godfather of the of the Gears of War franchise, and he's talking about how it's like, yeah, we like Gears a lot, but at, at one point, it's like you just kind of run out of ideas. You feel like the idea has run its course, and then you move on. You know, you know what the guys who worked on Gears of War went on to go create after Gears of War? Fucking Fortnite! <laughs> like, and, and I understand it's like most. Of, you know, if you listen to Xbox on, you're probably just like, I mean. Uh, I'll take Gears of War over Fortnite any day. Sure, me too. But there's no denying that there is there is value and there is a, a potent, potential great financial reward for these publishers to just let your creatives be creative, to explore and do something different and stray away from something. And maybe you don't say Halo's over, we're going to put Halo away for now and is going to make something new. But maybe you do say Halo's gone for a while. Halo might be gone for a decade and we're going to do something else in the meantime. I don't know. I just, I wonder if maybe it would allow more creativity to flourish and more productivity to flourish among these Xbox studios. And I think, I think Xbox is exploring that and is catching on to that because you you see it with stuff like, like Obsidian has no business making a game like Grounded. And you, it's possible the timelines, it's a little fuzzy. We don't know how it lines up. It's possible that Grounded started development before Xbox acquired them. Although I, I would say Xbox's acquisition probably greenlit Grounded. Is what got that off the ground and got money injected into that project. But like you think about something like Grounded, which has been such a success for Obsidian. It's like you don't get that game if if you buy Obsidian with the expectation that you're gonna be the Fallout New Vegas developer. You're gonna make new spin-offs in the Fallout series, or you're gonna make this Outer World series ad nauseum going forward. That's we're gonna name you we're gonna name you Outer Devs, and you guys are gonna be the developer that works on outer world titles. It's like you don't do that because it seems like a lot of of the competition is proven, and a lot of your talent is currently proving that, hey, if we stray away from uh, the evil within, we can make hi fi rush. You know, as is the case with uh, with um, with Tango GameWorks, and obviously, again, that's you know a lot of stuff that probably happened not necessarily under Xbox's leadership, but we're seeing that kind of trend play out, and I just wonder if Xbox is having is going to have to respond to that more and more, like. I don't think 343 is going anywhere. I don't think they're getting shuttered. And I don't really think Halo is going anywhere, to be honest. But you almost wonder, what is the next thing 343 does? Because I don't know. I think they're going to support Halo Infinite with these half-assed seasons, a couple maps, a new weapon, whatever. But I think Halo Infinite, unfortunately, is done. They've completely botched and fucked the story of Halo. And uh, clearly, Microsoft doesn't care. And that is what it is. And it hurts. And it's a whole different uh, subject matter. But... I don't think there's a pressing need to get back to Halo right now the way that Gears 5 left a pressing need to get back to Gears 6. Because Gears 5 literally ends on a cliffhanger, like a moment where it's like, hey, it's it's time to immediately continue the story. uh, 343 definitely ended Halo Infinite on a cliffhanger where there's an immediate need for another game, no doubt. But they also ended Halo 5 on a cliffhanger with an immediate need for another game. And then they they continued to completely fucking ignore that storyline, then go do something entirely different. So, oh well. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Halo is completely fucked at this point. And now you fired your single player development team. And um, cool. So now we got Halo's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, and 9, I guess. But anyway, uh, that's probably how they're going to handle Halo going forward. Atriox, you are the most badass villain that I never got to fucking fight or see in a video game. Uh, Halo Wars two doesn't count, anyway. So, <laughs> not to make this a Halo debate or thing, but I just feel like it's something worth considering or thinking about. Uh, I mean, think about Rare. Like Rare might be actually the best example as as I end this this tirade, which is just to say like. Can you, like, everyone wants Rare to go back and make Banjo-Kazooie. It's all anyone ever says. Anyone who's a 90s kid who fucking shops at Urban Outfitters and is nostalgic for fucking any, you know, the fucking juice boxes from the 90s. What are they? The the Kool-Aid jammer barrel boxes, whatever. 90s kids. All they can ever fucking talk about is how they want Banjo-Kazooie to come back. What if Rare made Banjo-Kazooie 3? And here's the the reality of it is. There was a long time where I was one of those people, too, where I was like, come on, make another Banjo-Kazooie. But you know what the last game I want Rare to make is nowadays? Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> because the people that made that game are not working at Rare. It's just a name. And if you went up to the team that made the really, really creative, awesome, unique, excellent game that is Sea of Thieves and said, fuck you, you're being pigeon to a, uh, um, a Banjo-Kazooie 3. I think you'd end up with a pretty mediocre product, a lot of pissed off developers, a lot of people exiting your studio. It just wouldn't be a good time. But they've allowed Rare to basically just, you know, after, you know, after years of forcing them to work on Kinect and and Avatar stuff, but they finally let Rare go and just do their own thing. And they came up with Sea of Thieves. And I'm sure Xbox's only reaction to Sea of Thieves is. Wow, why the fuck didn't we let you guys do your own thing sooner? Because Sea of Thieves continues to be a massive hit, has a massive player base, continues to just truck along, make tons of money and do its thing. And it's an awesome game. Sea of Thieves is such a cool game. So I can't help but think, you know, what if we treat more of the teams like that? Just go do something. Yes, everyone knows Rare made Banjo Kazooie back in the day. Let's see what they can make now. That's what I want to see. Remember, Naughty Dog makes The Last of Us. They just had an Emmy, uh, uh, I promise you, probably any nominated TV show just wrap up its first season. People are adoring the fuck out of The Last of Us TV show. It's apparently phenomenal. I don't doubt it. Those guys started out, well, they they were around well before PlayStation, but as far as PlayStation is concerned, those guys started out making Crash Bandicoot. Can you imagine if the guys behind Crash Bandicoot were told, no, 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 no. People love Crash Bandicoot. You're going to keep making that game forever. You would have never got Jack and Daxter, and then Uncharted, and then The Last of Us. So that's what I'm saying. It's like maybe it's time to look at Xbox's teams and say, we love Halo, we love Gears of War. I know I love to see these games go on. I, but maybe with some studios more than others, it's just time to say like, do we do we put this thing on a shelf for a while? Because if people are getting ready to move away from an IP or an idea, you're not doing yourself any favors by forcing. This husk of a team or the remainder of a team to get to work on something, and I don't mean to insinuate that's what the coalition or three-four-three are because I, I I like these teams a lot. I just um I feel like we're starting to run into a little bit of a roadblock with certain franchises, and and you gotta wonder if this has something to do with it. But anyway, let's wrap up our news this week with a one of the smaller um stories of, of these of these main stories but nonetheless I still put it here as the wrap up for the main news segment and it's uh, all about Diablo 4 so sp- hey speaking of Rod Ferguson and a lot of guys who used to work on Gears of War Uh, VGC reports there are currently no plans for Diablo 4 to be added to Xbox Game Pass, according to the series' lead, Rod Ferguson. The general manager of the Diablo franchise at Blizzard took to Twitter to state that a Game Pass appearance for the game is not in the works currently. Quote, It's awesome seeing the excitement around Diablo 4's beta, wrote the veteran developer who previously worked on the Gears of War and Shadow Complex series. Uh, We've been getting some questions about Diablo 4 and Game Pass, and I want to let you know we have no plans for that. End quote. Questions about Diablo 4's inclusion on Game Pass have been moving around ex- since Xbox proposed to buy Activision Blizzard for $69 billion, but the deal continues to go un- to undergo investigation by anti-competitive authorities. So, the thing is, I understand why people might be on this mental track of like, hey, uh, does this mean Diablo's gonna come to Game Pass? Listen, in a world where this deal could have been wrapped up quick and easy last year, probably, this game would probably be a Game Pass game. If Microsoft could have announced the Activision deal and had it done by the fall... You know, if we start off 2023 with Activision Blizzard being firmly part of the uh, of the Xbox family of the Microsoft family, then, yeah, I, I think it's quite possible, actually, that Diablo four could be launching this summer into Game Pass. Day one as a Game Pass title, no doubt, but they, they can't because the deal is not done yet, so. It's possible Microsoft could work out a deal with Activision as two separate entities to get one one person's game on the other person's platform. But no, that just doesn't make sense because until this deal is finalized, they, they have to operate as separate entities. You know, Activision still has to appeal to its shareholders and say, hey, this is how much money we're making. This is what we're doing. And so for them to take a game like Diablo 4 that's going to make so, so, so much guaranteed money without Game Pass... It makes no sense for them to cut their profits by putting the game on Game Pass when they could easily just sell the game for 70 bucks to all the people who would play it in Game Pass anyway. It just doesn't make sense. So they can't justify that kind of financial hit for no freaking reason to their shareholders because frankly, Diablo 4 doesn't need Game Pass. You know, Game Pass needs Diablo, but Diablo doesn't need Game Pass. And so that's the reality of the matter. So as long as Activision is an independent company that needs to report Money and, pro- and, and and progress and all these things to its shareholders, this would never happen. But once Activision Blizzard is owned by Microsoft and everything that Activision Blizzard releases is part of Xbox and is part of Microsoft's financial earnings, then yeah, 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 absolutely we can put Diablo 4 in Game Pass because at that point, the objective is completely different. Activision's goal is to make as much money as possible by selling video games. End of story, they're a game publisher. Microsoft's objective is we are too big to fail. We are a massive corporation. We're one of the biggest corporations in the entire world. Fuck you. We can do whatever the hell we want. So they don't need a profitable Diablo 4. If you're Microsoft and you're making all your freaking money off government contracts and Microsoft Office and and, and all this stuff and, and Microsoft Windows, you don't need Diablo 4. So you can take a game like that and and use it to bolster your streaming service that you're trying to grow and enable like Game Pass. And so, yeah, you'll do that when when Diablo and Activision and Blizzard are all owned by Microsoft, because no shareholder is going to ask Sachi Nadella on an earnings call. And how did Diablo four perform? No one's going to fucking ask that. No, no Microsoft shareholder is going to know what the fuck a Diablo is other than maybe a hot sauce used on the wings at the local sports bar they go to uh, after after a day of fucking stock trading and being a general piece of shit. Like, no no one cares about that. It's, so it's completely different objective is, is, is the thing. So Game Pass, you know, this is no slight to the games that end up in Game Pass on day one. But Game Pass is really more of a gamble for publishers and small developers where it's like, hey, I have this game. I, I don't know how it's going to do. I don't know if it's going to be a massive hit or if it's going to be a massive flop. And Game Pass offers this reassurance for third-party games where it's like, hey, take this big fat check from Microsoft, get your game on Game Pass. You'll cannibalize your sales on on the Xbox platform and PC as well if it's on Game Pass for PC. But you know, you're, you're guaranteed that chunk of change from Microsoft. So it's a gamble. It's like, do you want to take the risk and see if you can sell more copies on your own without Game Pass? Or do you want to play it safe and get that Game Pass check? If you're a game like Diablo 4, you don't need to worry about that. We all know Diablo 4 is going to sell like crack. You know? That's why you don't see games like Hogwarts Legacy or, or Call of Duty and Diablo traditionally on Game Pass, because they don't, they don't need Game Pass. But you see games like But you see games like Outriders and Rainbow Six as, uh extraction, stuff like that, because there is that concern. It's like, I don't know if this, I I, I don't know. Atomic Heart, I don't know if this game's going to do good. Hopefully it does well. Do we want to play it safe and just go with Microsoft? They'll give us a fat, fat check. You know, especially for some of these multi-platform games because they're like, okay, well, we can sell it on PlayStation and Switch and then we can get the safe check from Microsoft and put it on Game Pass for Xbox. And so that that's kind of what it all comes down to. It's really simple. Um, I, I mean, maybe, you know, not too much to divest from all, or to divulge rather from all this, uh, but yeah. Diablo 4 will come to Game Pass if and when this deal is finalized because the 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 role Diablo serves in the in the, in the portfolio is entirely different if it's an Xbox property versus an Activision property. So there's that. But yeah, guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Uh, let's wrap up, of course, as we always do with the important enough news stories, important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warn their own discussions, uh, which we have eh, about seven or so. I can't really count. So let's see. All right. First up. Konami has filed a trademark that could be referring to the Castlevania series. The trademark, which is uh, for the phrase "Project Z- Project Zircon," uh, was applied last week and published this week. The trademark was sought for use in a large number of uh, fields, including software and commercial video game machines. As noted by Gamitsu, the Project Zircon uh, may refer- reference. Uh, items found in the Castlevania series Zircon is a jewel that is found in the Castlevania games and was made uh, first made an appearance in the classic game Symphony of the Night Alright, next up, Fortnite's latest season, Mega, has arrived. The new season brings new map locations, points of interest, new futuristic biomes. Several characters or weapons have been unvaulted for the game as well. Uh, but most important to note, no FPS mode was announced. I know there are rumors about a first-person mode potentially coming with this update. So far, it does not seem like that's the case. Next up, this is very Way of the Lao-heavy news, so if you're listening, this one's for you. Capcom has dated Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak for Xbox. During Thursday's Capcom Spotlight digital event, the publisher confirmed that Monster Hunter Rise expansion will be coming to Xbox on April 28th this year. So look out for that. Next up, Square Enix has released a trailer for Symbiogenesis uh, as a, as well as information on the controversial game. Symbiogenesis is the publisher's first attempt at making a using NFTs and blockchain technology, something that continues to divide players after companies like Square Enix said they probably weren't going to get involved with this shit. So, awesome. Next up, EA has set uh, to reveal a new, uh, is set to reveal a new uh, racing or flying game soon based on the Xbox listing on Monday. Reliable leaker Agier Namenti at Lumia, I never know how to say his name right, uh, said that the new EA title had been submitted to Xbox Store's back end they, and that the new codename for it is Lorem Ipsum 70, which is submitted under the Marketplace's Racing and Flying category. The data miner regularly reports on listings that are added to Xbox and Windows stores, so he's pretty accurate. So could be a new Codemasters game, an F1 game or something like that. And finally, Ukrainian studio behind Stalker 2, Heart of Chernobyl, claims that it's been hacked by a group of Russians. In a statement posted on the game's official Twitter account, uh, GSC Game World claimed that a community of Russians and social network uh, has hacked into the account of a collective work with image applications and is threatening to hold data for ransom. According to the studio, the attack may result in hackers leaking images and potential spoiling or content for the game, so as such, the dev has asked players to ignore images or videos that leak ahead of the game's release. Please and thank you. Alright guys, that is it for all of our stories of mild amusements, and now we wrap up the podcast with our closing segment, our favorite segment, the only segment really worth tuning in for, which is the comments, the shout-outs, the questions the anecdotes and the ramblings from all you guys over on youtube.com slash Xbox on You know how it works. You want to leave a comment. You want to tell me how spicy you are. You go over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. at Xbox on podcast. You click on the latest episode of the podcast and you drop a note. Don't be cute. Don't be trying to leave a comment on episode 27. I'm not going that far back into the past. I don't care. But you can leave a comment on the latest episode, and you can say anything your heart desires, and I'll listen to it, and I'll read it on the show because I'm desperate for attention, I'm desperate for content, and only you can provide it to me. You can say something nice like, Jesse, I really, really like what you're doing with the whole registering your car so that your registration's up to date, so you, know, you don't have out-of-date registration. It's very smart of you. I noticed that you recently did that. Very good for you. You can say something totally mean like, Jesse... You're so fat that you should sell your car and walk to work every day. I don't give a shit if it's 28 miles away. Just do it. You hear me, you fat lard, you fat turd, you you, you stupid piece of shit. And I'll say, damn, that's harsh as as hell. How do you know all this? It's an audio-only podcast. You don't even know what I look like unless you're looking uh, at my Instagram or something. You're stalking me, and that's not cool. I don't want you to be stalking me, but I can't stop you from doing it. It's a free market over there on the Internet. they got all sorts of things you can do for free. So listen, man. Do what you want to do. I'm just asking that you leave a comment. And also, while you're at it, maybe rate us five stars on iTunes. I've noticed a lot of the Brits like to leave us bad reviews on the uh, UK iTunes charts. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Have a sense of humor. Even if I'm not funny, just have a sense of humor and understand I'm joking. Please, for the love of God, I'm gaslighting you. Let Let me be funny. First comment of the week comes from none other than headhunting Halo, who generally closes out the comments. But this week, he says, fuck you, I'm leading the chart. And he says, I cannot wait till Starfield. I agree that September is the perfect release date for, and the, company, um, for the company. Hit it before the, all the fall games come. Starfield is going to break records for sales uh, on Xbox. What a time to be a Gamer. Uh, let me read that in conjunction with Cronky's comment, which is also about Starfield, where he says, "Starfield being a September release is a good thing. Xbox needs strong games in the second half of the year, or Spider-Man will dominate the narrative and things will get all negative again, like it did last year." Okay, so I think you both bring up some important talking points as far as Starfield is concerned. So let's jump into it a little bit. Let's say, look guys, take a sip of your Mountain Dew. All right, let's get into it. I, I agree. I think Starfield is having a, a has a perfect release. While, of course, in an ideal world, we could. Um, release games in the months of June or July or whatever obviously that's not what's going to happen and so I think early September is pretty ideal you get way out of the way of those big October November releases and you give this really big game a really big moment to shine I think that's really great now there's a lot of murmuring saying I think spider Man's going to try to go day and date with Starfield it's probably going to launch around the exact same time that might be the case I don't know if I believe that but if so perfect it gives Xbox a huge shining game to just tout and be like hey he over here on xbox we got starfield baby and then yeah sony can go hey we got spider-man baby and then they both have excellent big games worth touting that's fine but it's important to note starfield's not going to break sales records at at all for xbox because game pass is going to fucking eat starfield's lunch starfield is not going to be as big a seller being an xbox and pc exclusive Starfield's actually going to sell best on Steam, and we've seen this happen time and time again with Game Pass, where a game comes out for PC and Xbox through Game Pass, it sells eh, on Xbox, eh, on Xbox's app on PC, but on Steam, people ooh people are willing to put out their money on Steam for a game, they don't want to subscribe to Game Pass, Game Pass doesn't do as well on PC as it does on console, so the game will get the majority of its sales from PC, and will sell pretty poorly on Xbox, if, if I had to guess. Uh, because everyone's gonna play it through Game Pass, and then it's not gonna be available on PlayStation, so it can't sell there either. So I think Starfield is actually gonna sell significantly worse than any Elder Scrolls or Fallout game before it because Game Pass. But the problem is when, or not problem, but the the thing to keep in mind is when when we're talking about Xbox going forward, we we just we can't measure their successes and failures the same way we used to, and the same way we do for other companies because when the product is Game Pass, outright sales aren't really that indicative now you might be talking about sales of xbox itself like the actual hardware like it might move units in that case oh yeah i don't know if it's gonna break records but it's definitely gonna move some fucking xboxes xbox is gonna become a lot hotter once this game comes out assuming that you know it hits and the reviews are great and people are saying oh this game's incredible you gotta play it. oh it's like skyrim in outer space you gotta play it yeah i think this game is gonna force a lot of people to buy some xboxes for sure if the news is good so yeah absolutely i Here's the thing: is I keep saying like we don't know how it ends up with Starfield. There's a lot writing on this game. I'm pretty confident Starfield is at the very least going to be a good game. You know, I don't think, you know, 76 was developed by wasn't developed by the original in-house team. Foley. It was a, it was a separate team. But in terms of like Bethesda Game Studios core games, you know, Morrowind, Oblivion, Skyrim, Fallout Three, Fallout Four. At the very least, their games are always very good. I can't see a world where Starfield is going to be anything less than a pretty damn good game. My concerns with Starfield are: is it going to feel super dated and old relative to other open-world modern games? Because you know, you look at a game like Star, like like uh, Skyrim. And it's like, yeah, people love it, but like, it is. It's aged. It's aged a lot compared to like Cyberpunk. Compared to Horizon Zero Dawn and Zelda Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring, like the open world genre, has been pushed a lot further and in a lot of different ways. And I definitely think Bethesda has its special flavor and charm and in style of open world that is in in certain aspects still unmatched and still kind of just in its own way really good at what it does, no doubt. But the, Starfield has to kick it up a lot because I would argue that especially up through Star um, through Skyrim's release. You know, up until that point, there wasn't really anyone who could do it better than Bethesda. But the landscape has changed a lot since then. And so I think Bethesda's got something to prove with Starfield. And so it's that plus they have the added heat of people are always looking for an excuse to hate Xbox. And yeah, I, I don't normally like to give into like this like conspiratorial like, oh, the games industry is so biased. But man, i I'm be honest. I don't think it's I, I don't think it's malicious, but and, and it's probably mostly subconscious. But I really do believe that there is a bias towards PlayStation and against Xbox. Sometimes, like, generally speaking, not everyone is, but a lot of times in games media, there's definitely a little bit of, like, a... It's like, it's not like, oh, let's hate on Xbox to hate on Xbox, but it's like, let's not give Xbox as much thought and consideration as PlayStation. I definitely think that does exist, so... With this being more of an Xbox title, yeah, there there is the potential that people are going to give it less attention and care a little less and be a little harsher when reviewing it. But at the same time, you got to understand it's not just an Xbox exclusive. It still is a Bethesda game. We all freshly recently remember, you know, an independent Bethesda that has no ownership by Microsoft. And so I think a lot of people are still going to be able to look at this game and play this game under this this understanding of what it means to be a Bethesda game and not necessarily like the Xbox part of it completely dominate the conversation. Although I do think it will have some kind of negative counterweight to it because it just seems like, you know, Xbox can release a game just as good as the latest PlayStation game. PlayStation game, if it gets a 95, if it gets a 90 on Metacritic, the Xbox game's getting an 83. It just is what it is. Xbox puts out good games, but they're just never quite as good for whatever reason, even when they are. Uh, so I, I don't know, man. I, uh, that's why I don't like to talk about Starfield this way, because like, I, I don't want to get hung up on it, because there's so, so many variables, there's so much writing on this game, so many different directions it can go in. All I want, all I know is it's like, I'm going to play it when it comes out, I'm sure it's going to be at the very least pretty good, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Now, yeah, a- a- absolutely, they do, they, Kronky, you're probably right, they probably do want to get it out around Spider-Man, because that's going to be PlayStation's big game this year. And that way, at least, it's like there—you they, can't have that narrative of like, "What's going on in Xbox? They don't have any games. Where are the new games? Where are the new games?" PlayStation's got Spider-Man. Spider-Man's so good because, let's be honest, Spider-Man Two is going to be very good. There's no denying that game's going to be good. So, yeah, it, there's a lot riding on Starfield, and I, I don't—I don't envy the position Bethesda's in because it went from a game that has a lot riding on it just because it's the first game of any real consequence since like Fallout Four, which has been a long time. But now it has the added pressure of like this game now has to be the selling point for the Xbox brand. Good luck, you know. Game didn't enter development in that in that in that uh, with that perception, and now now it has it. All right, my mom wrote in about the chicken nugget talk last week and said nuggets are not real food. I wouldn't need any of them, but I bet you can make a really tasty cauliflower nugget. They eat you alive in the comments section if you were my mother. All right, how could I forget? cgd games writes in and says no noticeable big releases this week jesse are you are you kidding me fern bus simulator quite possibly the best driving simulator on the platform mind you it's buggy as hell but patches are incoming how could i forget fern bus simulator everyone's favorite coach bus simulating game um yes my my bad cgd games um fuck me All right, our last comment comes from none other than Mr. Maug, who writes in about Suicide Squad and says, I forgot to mention... I probably should have put this during the news, but I forgot to mention this during the show, but I'm surprised people are upset about Suicide Squad and that it's a shooter. Uh, that's the original. That's all the original trailers ever showed, which is why I originally was looking forward to it. At those times, Gotham Knights also seemed like it was an exciting one to me. Well, Gotham Knights, I think, ended up being better than people said it was as an aside, but yeah, I, I and you're right. I feel like they did kind of allude to this... Uh, like when we got this gameplay reveal that disappointed people, I feel like it wasn't. Am I wrong in saying that this wasn't the first time we saw the game in action? I feel like people were just kind of like a little unrealistic about what it was. It's like what? I, what did you expect this game to be, man? Like I, I don't understand. Like we we knew there were the leaks on Reddit about the share the kind of games as a service elements of it. I, I agree. It's it's a lot of like. People were looking for a reason to be mad about this game due to other things they had been teased and learned about uh, leading up to this moment, but I don't know, whatever, man. I, I personally think the game looks really good. It doesn't look like it's going to, you know, break the mold or really, like, establish itself the way that the, the Arkham Asylum did back in 2009, but I, I do think it has the potential to be a very fun game, so whatever, teach their own, I guess. But that's going to do it for this week's comments, you guys. Thank you for, so much for participating and for being a part of the show, and for next week, don't be shy reply you guys that's gonna do it for our whole podcast this week thank you so much for listening to the xbox on podcast let me leave you with as we close out let me leave you with a little bit of wisdom here you can pick your friends you can pick your nose but you can't pick for your friends to play games with you because they're fucking losers, and they all, they all want to play Fortnite, and they and they fucking suck. And even though Game Pass is a great value, and they traditionally been on Xbox, they're still going to buy a PS5 because they, they can't they can't help it. It's the same reason they buy iPhone. It's not because iPhone's bad. It's not because iPhone's good. It's because everyone has iPhone. They just got they got to follow it. You know, it's like you don't buy a PlayStation because it's bad or good. PlayStation's great. PlayStation's great. They buy it because they have to. It's what everyone's got. So it doesn't matter. Game Pass can't sell it. Starfield can't save you now. It's time to buy a PS5. Sell your Xbox. Get a tattoo of Jim Ryan while you're at it. Maybe a tramp stamp. I don't care. But listen, guys, we're we're trying to support this local business, this small Xbox upstart from this tiny, tiny Microsoft corporation. We're We're just trying to rep this brand we all love, and it's hard out there. It's really, really tough. So... I encourage you encourage you to put on your green-plated armor, get out there in your day-to-day life, and be prepared to fight on behalf of, of Team Green. And until next week, be well, eat delicious food, spend time with those you love, and be grateful for the beautiful lives we've been given. But until next week, power your dreams.